Hello and welcome to episode 185 of The Great and Crowbar. It is the 18th of April, 2017. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Francis. Hello. Philippa War. Hello. And returning guest Tim Wicksteed. Hello. Hello, Tim. Hi. You are the creator of Big Pharma and presently the creator of Mega Aquarium. That's right, yeah. Your game was mentioned so enthusiastically by Pip <laughs> on our live show that you were functionally summoned into existence <laughs> in this room. I know. Thanks for having me. It does probably help that I, I live like uh, half an hour away from you. That is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that probably is useful. I remember last time I saw you, you was at Dev Days in Seattle and you were obviously pretty far along with this game, but you wouldn't tell me anything. Yeah. This is very unusual. Like most of my mm. indie friends just spill everything if I ask them, but you're very principled about this. I just have like a rule and I don't know if there's, I, I've, I've given reasons for this rule quite a few times and it changes over the course of time. <laughs> Sometimes it's about like, oh, I don't want to be bored of telling people about it by the time I mm. talk to it. Sometimes That's a good it's, point, I don't want to bore other people about it, but it's just <laughs> weird. I just have a rule and it's kind of nice because then I don't like, um, I just, if I tell some people and not other people, it just kind of gets confusing. Um, but so the, what is the stage that you, that you decide to reveal it at? Um, pretty much when I get nice UI done. <laughs> so, uh, just like, uh, lots of other, uh, kind of one man indies, I do a lot of coder UI to start, um, which is rubbish. And, uh, I have to get to a certain point with the, the kind of core gameplay simulation where it's worth getting the, um, if there's nothing there to get the UI done, like it's worth getting done. Um, and then once that's in, it kind of makes the game look all shiny. And then I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll announce it and show everybody. Even if the, the core simulation is still like relatively basic, for some reason, it's all about getting that nice <laughs> UI. And that's when I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Hmm. I think the reason I show everything really early is I want to kind of gauge people's interest levels in it. And mm -hmm. the heat signature, I actually had two games on the go and I kind of let people yeah. somewhat decide or at least influence me on which one seemed more exciting. And I yeah. kind of, I would worry about working on something in secret for so long if you're committed to it, like I presume you announce it kind of at the point where you, you're pretty sure you're making this game, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like, it's the final time to back down. So <laughs> like basically I, I booked a, a rest booth early this year and then I had to, that was my deadline basically. I had to announce before that. I managed to announce a week before. It looks like some kind of really smooth PR fit stunt, but it's like, it's not, it's like, I had to announce because I'm taking it to a show, you know, it's like, I wanted to announce before that, but I just ran out of time. So, um, yeah. And that's basically, I get a load of people to play it there and then, and it's my final chance to basically, if no one's interested, I can just can the whole thing, um, or maybe reduce the scope or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I totally understand. It's nerve wracking, uh, working for many months on a game in secret and you have no idea whether people even find the theme or idea interesting. My family knew. And so that was like a very small, uh, focus group, but like completely biased and unuseful. <laughs> what was the reaction been like? Uh, I think I'm biased. From people too. who aren't Pip. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think pretty good, actually. So I can only really base it compared to Big Pharma, but Big Pharma for me, did like really really well and so the reaction has i think been as good cool um just so that's just based on rares and you know people commenting on video blogs and that sort of thing 
And, uh, yeah, so I, I think there is an interest. You just, you don't know how much, um, you're operating in like a little bubble. I'm sure you must sympathize with that. Like, um, if all the people around you, are, you know, happen to be people who like that sort of thing mm. or whatever. So, um, there's always, well, yeah. I'm okay with that because all the people around me are games journalists. So yeah, but we can't write about your things. Yeah. So. Those specific people can't, but <laughs> if you're representative of all games journalists, I'm all right. <laughs> That's a really good point, actually. Yeah. <laughs> your compromised friends <laughs> so um i guess for the benefit of people who didn't hear pip explain the game on the live pod uh what it, from your perspective what is mega aquarium because i suspect you might even get a different answer from pip <laughs> yeah uh so uh, it is a game about running your own public aquarium so uh it's kind of taking that theme park management genre like theme park and roller coaster tycoon and more recently planet coaster and um, given it a little twist which is you're not building roller coasters you're having to build and manage these living attractions uh essentially you know various types of aquatic uh life uh, living in tanks um and so the kind of uh, basic kind of control uh inputs that you have are, are going to be similar you're kind of placing things down and you're um, kind of laying things out for optimal uh, like guest pathing if you know what i mean like hmm. uh, guest flow because you want them to get around all your attractions um but then after you've done that kind of placing down uh part then the gameplay is really different because it's suddenly all about managing and keeping these um living things alive um and so it's about you know, feeding them and making sure that they don't succumb to diseases um and making sure they don't fight amongst themselves or eat each <laughs> other which is something you don't really have to deal with when you have roller coasters <laughs> <laughs> although now that you mention it yeah it could be, be interesting cool game. cannibalistic <laughs> um and so yeah that's kind of where it takes this this uh this deviation i guess from the formula and uh and yeah i think there's just so much interesting stuff there because there's such a huge variety of fish and you know other aquatic life you know and it's not just fish you've got like um you've got your your invertebrates so things like starfish and anemones and corals um and all these things i you know i'm sure you guys all know because you're you know you're you're super clever people but just in case anybody at home didn't realize this because i didn't realize this before like corals are animals like they're alive they're not like plants i mean i know plants are alive too um and, <laughs> they're not dead like plants and, 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 and it's kind of amazing because like in a zoo you know your animals are quite they mostly like furry four-legged things um and but under the sea it's just uh it, it's it's kind of it's so there's so much variety it's you get these really kind of weird mm. uh things and the way those things can then interact i think uh can be really really interesting so what is uh what are the differences between these things from like a game mechanic point of view like uh, is the difference between like a starfish and a bunch of guppies just their stats or is there something special i have to do <laughs> yeah sure so um i mean the, so uh these kind of like invertebrates they mostly eat uh like plankton just kind of floating in the water so you, it, it's going to be a slightly different thing you're not going to have to actively feed them like you would um, most most of your fish um so that's going to have a different sort of mechanic it's not going to be um your staff aren't going to have to go and um and you know drop little little pellets into the tanks each day um but you are gonna have to make sure that there is a good supply of plankton and that sort of stuff and i i, I need to do, still do more research but like i need to work out exactly um the sorts of things that lead to that um and then you've got kind of uh, you know fish that nibble on on leaves uh, on plants and vegetation so it's important to keep those in there and then you've got interactions between the fish and the um the other types of of uh 
livestock so like the obvious example is like because if you've seen finding nemo right so you've got the clownfish uh, and they they like to live in a host anemone so that just makes them really happy you don't actually have to put them with a host anemone they can live without them but it makes them happy hmm. um and so yeah you can have all these kind of interesting interactions hopefully hmm. so the moment that big farmer clicked for me was when i uh put in a machine and then i i think it was one that like rotates the effects of the drugs hmm. and so uh before that moment i kind of saw it as just oh you just place the right buildings in the right place whatever the order has to be yeah. for the game dictated by the designer that's how it has to be and then i saw that uh actually each drug has a kind of grid of effects and this is a machine that rotates that grid and then there's a machine that shears off half of it and then there's a machine that yeah know, destroys half of it or merges left half of one the right half of the other and it suddenly seemed like really systemsy and and kind of juicy open. in the way that um that i get excited about is mega aquarium does it have something like that or is it yeah, I mean, it, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, it's it's so early in development, I need to still create that. Mm. Um, but that's definitely the aim. Uh, and I think I think there is great scope for that because um, because you can each of these little kind of interactions, if you like, can be it's like its own little system. And then once you put all those together, you know, cause so so, for example, you've got like basic requirements, like the type of food that they eat, the number of times they need to be fed um, and the temperature of the water, potentially like pH, although I'm not sure that might be a little bit too detailed. <laughs> and then the type of water, fresh water, salt water. Um uh so that kind of like breaks down in terms of like uh the uh the kind of the types of fish that you can put together like temperature and salt water or fresh water um but then you've got the interactions between the different fish so you know big boisterous ones might bully little ones um but then if you put in some rocks that create hiding places and that maybe gives you a place that reduces like the tension level of the tank oh my god it's a stealth game now <laughs> <laughs> because the the, uh, the 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 smaller fish have somewhere to go and hide you know because the, if they're being bullied all the time it stress them out they might even just die from pure stress which actually happens mm. um and i'm trying to think of kind of more systems off the top of my head but you can kind of see how these like they all overlap but they're not like there's no like right answer yeah. it's going to be it's going to completely depend on what you have available to you as well because um i quite like the idea of actually um, I, I just got to experiment with it. I like the idea of maybe having limited marketplaces. So potentially like maybe you have like your basic fish, which are always available, but then certain kind of exotic fish could only be available and randomly appear and only be available in certain numbers. It's like, oh, how can I use this one? Well, I can't put it with these fish, but I can put it with those. Oh, I know. I'll set up a, a tank like this. Um, oh, and I, you know what? The final thing I should mention is um, on, on this topic of like... Uh, overlapping systems and like creating combos and synergies and that sort of thing is the decorations so um the current uh way the decorations work is that they uh they'll have like a a bit of kind of text almost i don't know like a card in hearthstone or something it's like um or any collectible card game of your choice uh it will be like plus two ecology points which is one of the resources you gather if um for every species in this tank with the colorful trait that's an oh, example nice. of one of them at the moment but imagine having like 50 of these all <laughs> with different traits uh maybe it's like this trait um with a size over five um <laughs> and 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 so it's it's kind of you'll be able to create these little combos between those like make loads and loads of points yeah that sounds good <laughs> pip as the most enthusiastic person about aquariums on, on planet earth oh <laughs> hello <laughs> yes what what would you look for in an aquarium simulation well i mean one that it exists because it's not a thing like i have you thought of that tim <laughs> it's gonna exist i mean i google I this exist. thing regularly oh. and, uh, until now 
I mean, really. And there's like, there was a Steam thread a little while ago of people just looking for an aquarium management game, but that's like not quite in this sense, but more in the sense of you have a tank. Like a home aquarium. Yeah, like a one particular thing. Um, And I think I was saying I have that, it's now called Tap Tap Fish just Mm -hmm. on my phone and I was showing Chris my current sort of layout and the the colour that I've chosen for the scheme and the fish that I've currently got swimming around. Um, But I think it's interesting because I think I'd like to be able to guide people through an experience because I've been to so many aquariums, aquaria, that... I I think they're kind of familiar to me, but I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. You know, you kind of, you're used to the Amazon zone and you're used to the the uh, freshwater bits and you know what the tropical zone is going to vaguely look like and your paths through that and that there'll probably be a touch tank that you've got some rays in and some um, starfish and things. And so I'd sort of be interested in ways to maybe think about bases differently that aren't necessarily what someone has done in real life with limited funding and Mm. (laughs) things that have been in place for decades by that point so um i know that's not really a helpful (laughs) thing to say but like i think i wonder whether i would fall into the trap of trying to recreate i don't know georgia aquarium or something or um some of the tanks that i've seen i don't think i would because we were talking about things like um being able to breed fish and Mm, what that might do and and, uh sorry (laughs) this is just to like mention it so now you are forced Uh, (laughs) but also i mean there are things like I don't really know at what point it's just, it's cool stuff that is from the real world, but I don't know how it would relate to the experience of actually creating it. Like an octopus needs Mm. toys to play with and it needs things so it doesn't get bored. But would you incorporate that in the game if you had an octopus? Would you have to have a a staff member that is dedicated to (laughs) entertaining the octopus or making sure it doesn't figure out how to leave its tank? Yeah, Yeah. prison architect for octopuses. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's a really good question, actually. And it's, it's, you know, I, uh, what I, what I've got at the moment is a, is a, I think a really good framework for defining these um, like tasks that need doing in in, in your aquarium. Um, and I'm at the the best bit now, which is I pretty much just get to like create all of that gameplay. Um, and and so I, I, it's just like researching and adding these things. So so you know I haven't really talked about like staff and that side of the management yet. I've talked a lot about the the, the requirements of the fish and how you might like place the certain combinations of things together that would work well. But the other half of the game. Oh, man, there's so much to talk about. First, I should just mention, uh, the game at the moment runs on a day cycle, which I think is quite novel. Um, so basically, um, you uh, the, before the day starts, there's nobody in your aquarium and you can kind of build stuff and, and change things around. But then you click open the doors and then um, you've got eight hours when your staff come in and they have to do all of the jobs that need doing today within those eight hours and also of course you've got guests coming in and they're going around your um your tanks and that's how you get money and more points to unlock new stuff so you have to kind of you have to go through that process of a day otherwise you won't be able to go anywhere uh, but of course each day is also like a liability because if you don't feed your fish bad stuff might happen so um yeah so the management side of the game is you know you're hiring these different staff um members and currently it's just one type which is an aquarist someone who looks after fish 
And at the moment, there's one task, which is feeding the fish. Uh, so it's at the very, like, there's, it's the minimal amount of stuff that's in the game at the moment. But actually, like, the, you know, once you add loads of different types of tasks, like you say, playing with a, um, an octopus, different types of feeding, like stick feeding. So like, that's when you're having to feed a, a, a predator, a predatory fish, um, directly with a, with a stick, really time consuming, much harder than just throwing a load of pellets in. Um, and then once you're having to kind of get all these things together, um, cleaning out filters, uh, doing water changes on the tanks potentially, and probably loads of other stuff I haven't even, don't even know about yet. I think that could be really interesting, uh, because you, you know, it's about prioritizing your staff, making sure they're concentrating on the right tasks. Um, so that those basic things don't slip through the net. Cause you can imagine you, you've got to the perfect stage where all of your fish are getting fed each day. And then, uh, and then a task comes up that doesn't need to be done every day, like cleaning out your filters. This is a kind of mundane example. I should probably be talking about like fantastic, awesome examples, <laughs> but hey. And then suddenly one of your staff members goes off, cleans all the filters, but doesn't do their rounds on the feeding today. And suddenly a load of your fish go hungry. And it's like, ah, so I love the idea of it having different, like, uh, length periods between mm. tasks so that it creates this kind of uh, lumpy uh, graph if you like of what needs doing each day uh, and so kind of managing that each day i think could be a really interesting thing that i've not really seen done much in these games because most of them i work on a kind of endless cycle prison architect does and prison architect's got a day cycle so maybe there's some similarities there but i don't remember anything being especially lumpy on prison architect in terms of the varying between mm. one day of the week to another day of the week. I mean, what is an aquarium if not fish prison? I don't know. I'm kind of interested as well. Like, And I don't want to just say a load of things as if that's what I think the game should be. But it's you can. I don't, it's like... early days, so I'm looking <laughs> for inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so I, something that I was thinking about was I'd really like to be able to do something in terms of curating more of an educational visit or something so I was interested in whether there were going to be maybe remits that you could fulfill maybe in terms of yeah. school visits and having those talks that a company feeds or you know even just those like having somebody who writes the the plaques that go alongside the thing and helps understand or helps explain rather what's going on to kids or you know things like that are kind of really cool but then also uh, when i played it at res the build seemed very sort of um the tanks could be big but not sort of totally out of scale with people mm. but some of the aquariums that i've been to have had just totally ridiculous like walk through things or the georgia aquarium just yeah, to mention that again has like four whale sharks in this enormous yeah. crazy like football uh, field sized tank. Yeah, that it's is insane. ridiculous and there's like a little travelator on the tunnel that you can go in through that and you're just like this is That's are you kidding crazy. me <laughs> so yeah like i i guess how do you scale that or scope that so mm. that it isn't crackers <laughs> no I, I think it should be okay it's actually funnily enough that's not the end of the spectrum i'm struggling with right now <laughs> uh from a design perspective what i'm really struggling at the moment is tiny fish because you put to, to kind of even fill like a, a medium-sized tank like the sort of tanks you're talking about like not even that big with fish you're um I, i've got the you know the players currently maybe getting like 10 12 fish uh or shoals of fish um within the first uh 10 15 minutes of the game which is kind of like an off, like quite a lot of different things to manage already. And it's actually what is, I'm, I, I want to do is get the player building bigger fish as soon as possible because then, you know, I'd rather the player had kind of 
maybe 10 to 15 different fish on the go at any one time. I mean, eventually, obviously, it's going to grow, you know, 20, 30. But um, so actually, yeah, bigger, bigger fish are kind of easier in a way because it's it's less um, less kind of individual little guys that need uh, feeding and all that sort of stuff. It's just, it is just a question of scale. And actually, you know, my art style and from like a technical point of view, the art style is relatively uh, low in geometry, relatively. It's not like super low poly. Um, so actually, um, yeah, scaling just up the models and making mm. like big, like whale sharks, like you say, or, uh, you know, giant Pacific octopuses or whatever, that's <laughs> going to be a lot of polys. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it shouldn't be too bad, actually. It shouldn't be too hard at all. Um, it, like I, my artist could put a tank in that fills the screen like tomorrow. You know, like it. That, yeah. it the problem is I haven't got anything to go in there yet that needs <laughs> that size of tank. So yeah, I think we'll get there. And the idea of having like walkways through tanks, um, totally. Um, I've gone for this. To, uh, I've gone for. I could have gone for a system which is more modular, so that say you you place like a corner of a tank and a side of a tank, and yeah. then you get to create a tank of any shape, and that would have been cool. But what I actually went for is these. Um, uh, kind of more static uh, tanks where they just come in a certain shape. But what I like about that is it means that we can put a lot more kind of flair into that design. And so, you know, we can have weird shaped tanks. Any, you know, anything that my artist can draw can be in the game rather than having to make sure that it all works into a system. Because I think sometimes it can be, you just got to pick your fights, kind of mm. choose going too far in either direction. And, um, you know, one stifles the player's creativity. The other one stifles the kind of total uh, flexibility of, of what you can have in the game. Mm. I'm guessing that maybe one way around it would be that a shoal of smaller fish functions as one fish and then figuring out like, oh, well, if they get to a certain point of ill health, it just halves or... and then, Totally. Yeah. You know, I just put it in the game like last week. <laughs> so just, just since Res, um, uh, which is... In fact, was it since... Oh, wait, was it just before Res? I actually can't remember which whether I got it in after or before. <laughs> but no, I have shoals in the game now, which is really helpful. Uh, yeah. Definitely, because yeah... You were just, I was getting so many, you were getting so many fish so early and it just got out of, out of control. <laughs> We've yeah. all been there. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because I guess unlike Big Pharma, there's an, there's a, an argument to be made for almost creative mode in an aquarium game because aquariums are aesthetically nice things. People <laughs> like building them. That's the reason. Have you seen aquascaping? Yeah. I haven't. Oh, there are so many amazing videos online and it's basically just people decorating tanks in all these amazing, really cool ways. <laughs> mm. And there's different types of aquascaping and you can do it so that it looks like there's little bonsai trees growing mm. underwater. And so that you can have like a waterfall made of sand that gets pumped out and that falls down. And it's like, it's amazing. I have so many links that I can send you. <laughs> yeah, I would actually like that. <laughs> no, you'd be amazed. Like that. It's, it's, I keep saying it, like I've got this really like, I'm really happy with the, the like the framework that I've got at the moment, and it's I do just want loads of ideas. So please feel free to send me ideas. You know, I think yeah. an octopus's heart stops beating, or one of its hearts stops beating when um a, an octopus of the other sex like. <laughs> oh, right. I was joking. Yeah, <laughs> like there was a sort of like it has like a mini heart attack when it's like aroused Aww. or something. Aww. Just be cool, Stephen. Just be cool. Just be cool. <laughs> like, just be cool. It's quite just sweet. Be cool. <laughs> I used to run like a thing on a blog, an art blog that I used. 
used to do called Octopus Monday, and it was just like a cool thing about octopuses, and it was sometimes oh, yeah. more or less tangentially related to art. But wasn't the header on your blog uh, octopus tentacles? Yeah, like for most of my things, there's usually a tentacle just <laughs> somewhere around. So yeah, and I think I was like the number one Google ranking for stop motion octopus porn. <laughs> I may still be. Dream to fame. <laughs> oh yeah. Awesome. Have you ever been to Bristol Aquarium? Yeah. So uh, this actually. I don't know. I don't know if this came from you, Pip. Um, cause I think I did. mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, my uh, my girlfriend uh, actually, I should. I'm, yeah, I, I I can say this. It's fine. My girlfriend <laughs> used to work at Bristol Aquarium. Uh, so uh, yeah, I uh, I have quite a good source of info there. <laughs> uh, and you know, she, I'd be lying if I said. I'd be making this game if it wasn't for her, but it's not, it's not for her. It's, she was the, like, she made me think of the idea because right. I just wouldn't have considered an aquarium game, except we talked a lot about fish, you know. Mm. And seahorses. That was and specifically how it came so up. So <laughs> seahorses. So yeah, my girlfriend used to, um, she used to, uh, breed seahorses. In fact, she's bred quite a lot of the seahorses that are in aquariums in the UK because they've sent them wow. to different aquariums. So yeah, I've been to Bristol Aquarium. I th- it's only twice actually, but, um, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah. I, I have had like the the guided tour. You know, like, one on I don't one. want to brag. But <laughs> I've seen, to find out which fish are secretly assholes when they're not in front of the public, that kind of thing. Exactly. You know, I, I did. It was really cool, actually. Her friend uh, uh, showed me around the, the the back of the aquarium, so behind the tanks, which is really interesting. Uh, so that's really helped from a kind of mechanical point of view. Mm. So you know, you know. I've, is so it like behind the walls in Portal where there's like furnaces and stuff? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's scary. It's a scary place. It's, no, there are some really cool things. Like I've just mentioned one, which was the one that blew me away, is that the like, when you're a hobbyist uh, aquarium keeper, you have these relatively small like, canister filters which do all of your filtering all in one go and uh, in one box. And at, to get kind of uh, economies of scale, I think, and efficiency – at big aquariums, they have huge filters of, of the various types. They have one huge pump, one huge mechanical filter, which basically just pumps the water at extreme pressure just through sand. Um, and then another one, which is for the biological filtering, which is basically pouring the water um, kind of over these plastic balls, which have loads of bacteria living on them. Um, and it's kind of there's air inside inside this thing so that they can it's aerobic bacteria that, that eats all the ammonia that comes out of the fish poop. Anyway, um, and this gave me this great idea, which is well, I think it's a great idea, which is instead of just having a filter per tank, which is what you have currently, you could kind of increase the scale and have a huge filter run through several tanks, which is what, you know, big proper aquariums um, often do. That's kind of cool to find that out. <laughs> yeah. I liked how, because in the build that I played, obviously it was quite rudimentary, but um, you were explaining how also the public might fiddle with the filters. And so at some point you start putting them behind a wall, like you'll build a tank flush with a wall, essentially, um, and then take away the wall behind it, put the filter there and then bo- block it off with essentially a, a door that only staff can go mm-hmm. through. So you've stopped the public from from faffing and messing so i thought that was really cool um something that i was wondering about but kind of don't really want to know the answer to in some ways is okay. is there someone whose job it is to scoop out dead fish 
in the game. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> or can we just pretend that doesn't happen? I mean, unfortunately. <laughs> the coroner. I, uh, there will, the you fish know, fish autopsy. I think fish will be able to die. I have, to, I have been thinking about it. Um, but it will be very, you know, ungratuitous, you know? Mm. Um, <laughs> no, if, no, like sniper elite slow mo <laughs> Yeah, so um, eating a piece of gravel and going through his intestines. You know, yeah. I could just go for the old-fashioned, you know, blip, and they just disappear, and you know, it comes up, yeah, and you know, like Boris has died. Spirit, um, like yeah. rising from the. Um, I think that might be the kind ghost. of kindest way to do it. But in real life, like a dead fish that you don't find and don't speak about, it causes havoc because it decomposes and just tanks the water chemistry of a tank. Mm. Tanks the tank, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it could be an interesting gameplay mechanic. It could be a bit like over the top and like. People aren't going to let their fish... I think, okay, the only people who are going to let their fish die or get like get their fish to die regularly are going to be YouTubers, I think. Because, you know... They'll <laughs> God be, damn those you YouTubers. Know, <laughs> uh, because it's going to, you know, I guess it could be, I don't know, funny in a sick way. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this is it wouldn't be the sickest thing YouTubers have done for the last. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Said Tom totally libelously. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, even in video games, like Sniper no. Elite, for example. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, I guess there's also an interesting, like, mechanical thing in that if a fish dies and it's in a tank in public view, that sure. reduces the visited experience. And you have screaming, crying children running out of the aquarium. Yeah. no, Which is a great thing I mean, to simulate. Well, or, unless they get to a certain age, in which case they're like, come look at this! It's right. dead! <laughs> that one's yeah. dead! But look it, at you know, it! That then adds to that, you know, bumpy simulation mm. of having something that a staff member then needs to go and deal with. Yeah, no, totally. Mm. No, and that's... I, it, looking for those sort of things, like you say, bumpy simulation, um, is, yeah, it's actually something I'm thinking about a lot at the moment because currently it's a very static simulation, basically. Mm. Once it's set up, pretty much uh you you know it would just run itself um but yeah the the kind of fish death thing it, it is something that my girlfriend's actually quite wait a minute i was about to say keen on that doesn't sound right <laughs> she, she, it's actually a really interesting part of their job that again not many people would know about which is they they'll they have to do autopsies um because they need to find out why the fish has died mm. and actually that that could potentially be a great thematic feedback mechanism so you know this fish died because it got this disease or it died because it, it was hungry or it was stressed or whatever um is rather it ever than... blackmail <laughs> <laughs> is it ever blackmail yeah uh it's murder tom <laughs> and then the game into just an entirely different mode this detective game. that would be really cool though because yeah you could like do the you could choose to i don't know investigate fish body and then it would be like it would tell you oh the the acidity was wrong mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. oh it has a disease and the rest of the fish in that tank are like going right. to need medicine or that's really cool it was a I single shot from six miles away sniping the fish yeah it's an interesting idea though, like not, not having that information by default you know just knowing it's dead yeah. until you assign a sas member to it's something vet. i'm really keen on actually and it's something i might end up talking about a little bit later because uh, i won't go into it now uh, it, there's a different game i've been playing which i think does this really well basically um and um yeah is interesting ways thematic ways of feeding back to the player um without it just being a kind of really obvious like um just a dialogue box comes up and just tells you the information um because i just think that's kind of cool mm. you, you could get the uh the crusader king's events feed in there 
where you know it's girls having every every day you have the new set of messages which could be obviously we've investigated this fish death and it is starved or whatever but could also just be the internal politics of a fish tank if that's something else <laughs> mm, you get yeah. you know, like the kingdom of seahorses has brokered a treaty with the, <laughs> yeah. the palisade of clownfish <laughs> no don't do that that's stupid i play that game though they um some of the fish will fight over hiding spots as well though mm. so like they will fuck each other up proper <laughs> That's why you can't put Japanese fighting fish in with, like, <laughs> sometimes they'll try and mess up their reflections. They'll just be like, oh my god. I know. <laughs> just calm down. So for, like, research, I've been um, reading various books, and it's kind of depressing that like, every single, like, nearly every fish, it's like, either this fish will get picked on by more boisterous species, or mm. this is a bullying fish that will pick <laughs> on more docile species. Like, just, there's just so much fighting. Practical Fish Keeping magazine is good for information. Um, on that yeah. <laughs> by the way <laughs> just as an fyi <laughs> thank you yeah no i'm pretty sure my girlfriend has has a lot of uh a lot of research material for me to yeah. dig through this fish has the asshole trait <laughs> a lot of them do yeah 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 <laughs> and lots of them outgrow their tanks as well or people will get them and think that they'll only be little and then they grow to like six feet long and the person's like i have one regret <laughs> <laughs> Please take this off my hands. Yeah. Or take like you get hands. customs fish, you know? What? what? For, that get, you know, right. confiscated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And then they need to obviously be looked at. I thought like fish that things. inspect your luggage. I know, that's what I thought as well. <laughs> there are some awesome fish in Bristol Aquarium, actually. Just to give another shout out to that aquarium. Uh, it's outs- really in the good. Outside, in the outside pool, you know which area I mean, mm. there's um, there's some fish that have been donated. And um, because they grow so big, I, I don't can't remember what the species is. But there's this one which acts like... Is it like, whales? It's, <laughs> no. But there's this one that acts like... It, it's, more, it's like a dog. It's like... Like it, it, you come up to the the um the the side of the pool. It's it's a pool which is at waist height, so you can actually put your hands in. And it comes up and like sniffs at the at the right at the water level because mm. it knows you got food. We did <laughs> have food, and you 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 actually just basically pour the food just down its throat. It's just like, it's just it, it's and it's huge. Like uh, it's as big as like a uh, golden retriever. Like yeah. top tip by the way. I think they m- still have that uniform it's been a while since i've been but if you go to uh the london aquarium um and you're wearing a bright yellow t-shirt they think that you've come to feed them and so like, the terrapins will all like <laughs> gather up on you and nice. you're like i've got nothing i'm so sorry i just disappointed terrapin by wearing top. yellow <laughs> so now we're just sharing fish stories we're yeah, actually yeah. not fish talking tips. about games yeah. at all no, at no, this no, point I mean, there's, a, there's a fish in, we found out last time we went to bristol aquarium there's a fish there that thinks it's a shark it's so <laughs> that's their cute. only way of explaining its behavior because it's in a it's in the big tank with the little sharks like i think they're not tiger but the little tiny relatively small sharks. mouth sharks. they're like dogfish <laughs> yeah they're like big dogfish <laughs> wolf shark i don't know um, <laughs> um but um there's one big fish in there is his name hank it's something like that yeah. yeah um but he just think he just swims like a sh- he only swims like a shark Aww. he just sort of tries to fight doesn't really work because he's a fish oh. he refuses to eat except when the sharks eat and they try to eat what they eat. Yes, I think I've seen That's this. That's the depth of simulation you're probably not going to go into, which is like individual fish ambition. Hank the delusional yeah. fish. Yeah. 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 Psychological disorder. But in terms of random events, there's a sort of like, this fish actually thinks it's this fish. Yeah. It's a good one. Oh, there's some lobsters as well that like are rescue lobsters as well mm. in, in places like that. That was cool. I liked seeing them. Hmm. This is just mm. things we like about fish now. Really. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it was always going to descend into this, really, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, it was inevitable. The thing yeah. I was going to say earlier was that, like, you know, you play tap tap fish, which is purely a 
you know, again, but building an aquarium that is visually pleasing to you and customizing yeah. it. Mm. And that's a, a lot of the appeal of those home aquarium simulators as well. Is well, I'm worried about getting kelp. We're all worried about that. Bit. No, no, I mean, it's, I've been building <laughs> towards it for so long, but now it's going to be a green element in my tank that is largely orange and, and blue. Mm. And so now, do I want the kelp after I've saved up? Oh my word! I know it's, it's these a, are the sorts of decisions. A roller coaster. Sorry, you're. About but what I was going to say was that obviously when you have you, you know obviously there's, there's an aesthetic element to building an aquarium within a simulator when you have to earn everything when you know everything is tied to this uh, the simulation right and then the the game of it would you consider having an optional mode which was just build what you like for the sake of looking at it because yeah. it's interesting because it's not something mm. you would have hit with big farmer right where no one's going to go like i just want to watch stuff move well but people do with fish <laughs> funnily enough i mean there is a free build mode in big farmer and and uh and it's, i didn't really mind doing that because um uh, I don't know. There was nothing that was really trying to hold back from the player, especially. But with this one, there is that uh, there is that question of like, uh, does it is it more tantalising, more exciting? You know, eventually, finally getting access to your favourite fish or that you know really exotic fish that, uh, and it takes ages to earn the points to unlock it. Um, is that yeah? Is that more exciting if you can't just go into a free build mm. mode where everything's mm. available? I'm not sure yet. I, Maybe what, you, you have know, to like. What do people think? You have to have had that fish in the normal mode in order to unlock it in free mode. Right. Then... That's a that's. that's- yeah, that's what I was going to suggest it. as well. Because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then, then, you know, you have the, the stress-free mode of just like, I just want to watch these things swim around and, you know. Yeah, unlimited money and just, just kind of build a really nice... The, time, the timer is off, basically. Yeah, it's just yeah, like yeah, enjoying yeah. the space. Yeah, that's nice. Something that I'd like, while we're just making suggestions, or while I'm making suggestions... <laughs> During this pitch meeting slash... <laughs> yeah. okay. I love this it. We'll finish the game by the end of the podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, something that I'd be really excited to see is the stuff that aquariums can't actually do in real life so there's a bunch of stuff that happens you know in the deep ocean with like thermal vents and with polychaete worms and with like brine that is heavier than seawater that has lakes within the sea kind of thing and so it'd be really cool to have that sort of that otherworldly weird stuff that you could have in a in a tank and that you could actually sort of curate and get to grips with that ecosystem even though it wouldn't work in any way shape or form in the real world because pressure is different and because the actual sort of the you know just there's so much yeah, that sure. would be it's a really interesting idea actually i never even thought of that so like still basing it on realism in, on real life species fish and mm. the conditions that they live in but then taking just a slight uh trip down fancy lane and saying you know you have like a magic piece of equipment which recreates those conditions for example which doesn't actually exist like yeah. some high pressure tank or something like that that recreates that 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 thing yeah really cool yeah. idea i hadn't even thought of it before stuff like that would just be yeah amazing because that's stuff that i obviously i've seen in blue planet and things mm. like that but it, it's not something that i can ever experience in in a real setting but also i mean they, there are elements of it in um the lost oh is it i can't remember the lost uh something biome in subnautica really can't remember what it's called um but it's it's one that you find quite late on because mm. it's you know gated by pressure and by travel distance and by being really far down and you sort of finally get to it and there's this amazing tree-like structure and all of these animals that are sort of versions of ones that you've seen further oh, up cool. that have you know 
they're they're different and weird and ethereal looking and there are all these you know brine pools underneath and it's just so cool um but yeah so that's the closest i've come to being able to play with it a bit i guess yeah yeah Mm. high pressure polychaete worms confirmed here and let's see it's i'm glad people suggest stuff like this to me because i'm quite um i I think i'm quite good at coming up with systems uh i think that's a strong point i have as a designer but i think sometimes i actually i can err on the side of caution when it comes to doing like uh like out there kind of Mm. stuff so yeah it's actually i I really like getting all these suggestions from people because yeah it's definitely stuff i wouldn't think of on my own Blue Planets on Netflix. Okay. Just FYI. Yeah, no, I know. I've been, I've been, I've been watching. I've I mean, I'm assuming, but... This is why you finish your game in a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> it's because you don't have these crazy ideas. <laughs> no, that's the other, another reason that it's quite... Um, it, I think it's kind of it can be risky because you don't like your early question about when you announce right it's risky because you don't know whether people even like the idea but there is um, an uh, opportunity for the first period of working on the game to work out what it is you want to do on your own for a bit before those ideas come in because i do i really that's the reason i announce now and not like three months before the game comes out is there's no time at that point there's no time to put anything in from is in terms of feedback from other people so um it's really nice to have that but also it's it's um i i i'm sure you've had this too tom it's it, there's the game already has like gone through so many transformations. Like the first version, I, I had no idea even what the mechanics were going to be like. I mean, this day cycle thing's really new, and it, it commands like so much of the gameplay. Mm. Um, and you know, was it uh, going to be one of these games where you kind of everything builds over time, or was it going to be one of these ones where you place it down uh, instantaneously? And anyway, sorry, I'm going into way too much detail here, but like, yeah, this sort of stuff, um, I kind of, I do, I need like nine months to a year just to play around with on my own as well. Yeah, he thinks you actually started out being about aquariums, but just the journey it took. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I can see, yeah. I can see this. The... You'll find the same thing a few years down. Eventually, <laughs> yeah. the... mine's going to turn into heat. Eventually. eventually, the pressure to add um, polychaete worms will drive you away from that theme entirely. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> into space. <laughs> Pips is like knocking on my door. <laughs> worms! Damn I can't. You. Don't know what the word is. What is poly... Polychaete worms. Polychaete, yeah. okay. Poly... I have like many hair that. worms. Is that what that means? Worms yeah. that are cute in more than one way. <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> oh. Tom, what have you been playing? Yeah, um, I've been playing a bunch of stuff. Um, I think maybe I'll skip Andromeda this time because I've, I know we'll, I've played like 15 hours and I will have played another 15 hours by the time we're Make a noise that sums up how you feel about it so far. Hmm. Good. All right, moving on. <laughs> um, I played uh, a bunch of indie games, one of which is Golf for Work Groups, um, which is the rebirth of Golf Question Mark. Um, by Alex Austin, uh, aka Cryptic C, who makes Sub Rosa and has made a whole load of stuff. Um, but Golf Question Mark, I actually forgot that it was him that did that. Um, and that was like, I think it was 12 years ago that that game came out. Uh, it was like a free demo. It was always in development and it was, you know, uh, unfinished, but it kind of took the PC Gamer office at the time by storm and, uh, I think the PC Zone office as well, because I've talked to a bunch of people there who are like, oh my God, golf question mark is back, <laughs> uh, including Will Porter. Um, and all I really remember about it from those days is just that it was like, so, I remember it being like wireframe, but actually it wasn't. Um, it was just kind of computery looking. Um, and it's a golf game. Uh, and when you hit the ball, it traces its arc through the air with like a dotted line, almost like a graph. 
Uh, and so you can see where you're, exactly where your shot went in retrospect. And it just keeps that in the air for the whole game. So you just, you can see your whole path. And that's really cool. And, uh, playing it again, I can't tell you like what's changed or how much of the stuff I experienced <laughs> this time is new because it was literally 12 years ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's the art style is way cooler than I remember. Um, it's, it almost reminds me of like, um, uh, Oh shit, I can't remember the name of the game now. Uh, the really colourful first person game where you punch like bird men in the face. <laughs> really oddball. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning and move forward. Not close. Um, uh, anyway. Not serious, Sam. Um, no, like, really oddball. Um, he looks like a bird shush now. Anyway, it's not that much like that, so it doesn't matter. Uh, but giant, uh, giant abstract robots that are kind of frozen in time, stomping through the land. And, um, oh, the same company did the thing with where, like, the whole world is a giant rolling thing Katamari. and you're an egg. <laughs> I'm not helping. Okay, the entire world is being rolled up like a rug and you're an egg trying to escape the giant rolling thing. Or maybe it's not being rolled up like a rug, but there's a giant rolling pin type thing that's consuming the entire world. Mm. Okay, you don't know this game. (laughs) It does sound like Uh, a series of dreams. (laughs) Again, it doesn't matter. Uh, (laughs) The landscape in in Golf for Work Groups is beautiful and surreal and bizarre and has giant robots and black holes and sort of weird abstract trees. It's actually a little bit like a kind of Darwinia vibe where... Mm. There's these strange computery things, but it's also quite natural. Um, okay. And you're playing golf on it. And the system for like actually hitting your ball is very mouse and keyboard driven. And um, uh, one of the, it's very much a golf game made by someone who likes like FPS games because it's really just an FPS map that you can walk, walk around freely. There's no formalized vert, a notion of turns or um, all that you, all that happens is if you like interact with your ball, then it switches to swinging mode mm. and you look down on it and uh, you move your mouse uh like there's a two-dimensional there's two axes of of input for the mouse where you swing it towards the ball but it also matters whether you move it up or down as you hit it to give it spin and stuff and it's actually quite sophisticated um and then you also have a buggy that is just a drivable fps vehicle and there are like ramps and stuff and you can like boost on the ramps uh and then also like hanging in the air there's just like i thought it was just a visual effect at first like a really cool kind of um spatial distortion thing that looked a bit like a black hole and then we realized like oh these are dotted above a lake and um uh they're kind of about the height your ball would go if you tried to get across this lake and so you hit your ball at it and you realize they actually are gravitational fields and your ball will arc around them and so you have to try and aim your shot so it'll like curve around this one and then into that one and get flung out from it um and then if it falls in the water we discovered there's no like it doesn't automatically reset you anywhere <laughs> turns out we discovered afterwards you can actually reset it manually anytime you want you can just right click to place your ball um and as long as you are further away from the hole than your ball is it lets you do that um right but we didn't know that and when the balls went in the water uh you could just walk into the water because uh, both of us failed the black hole thing and then we're just like chipping it and it only goes like one foot each time you hit it. And we're like, you know, 70 feet from the edge of it. And so my friend Robin was going straight for the hole, which was about 70 feet. And I, I looked at how slow this was and realized I should just go for the nearest coast, no matter where that is. And that was like 40 feet. <laughs> so I went away from the hole, but towards the coast yeah. and he went towards the, the hole. And uh, my strategy paid off because once I got to the coast, I could get to the hole really quickly. 
Um, and so you're just um, hitting the ball as often as you like. So you're you're both playing at the same time, multiplayer. Yeah, the only sort of formal, the only um, connection it has to sort of golf rules is that it does track how many times you hit sure. it. So that is your score. So it does mm. actually, it has a par and everything. It's but more, it's more very like golf than uh, than some old, some other. Golf yeah, it games, is actually. So like, it's just like being on a golf course. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> With your buggy that goes up the <laughs> ramps. I haven't Just played like normal this. Goals. Uh, I haven't played this yet, but this new version has a team-based mode where um, it's uh, because there's like buggies and and the ball. Uh, each team just has one ball between them and one cart, I think. Um, and it's just. It no longer counts your shots. It's just who's the first to get their ball in the hole. <laughs> and so one of you hits it and the other one drives the buggy to where it's going to go and tries to be there when it lands so they can hit it right away. <laughs> but doesn't that mean that the person who hit it in the first case gets left behind? And I think maybe there are t- there's a buggy per player. I haven't actually tried this mode. Okay. But, um, there's a cool idea, though. Yeah. Um, I also played Loot Rascals. Oh. Have we talked about that at all? I don't think so. Um, I bought it, but in that, uh, what was the thing that they did that wasn't early access? It was something like early victory. It was. It, it had a, a cool name for what that thing was. They did some kind of yeah balancing. And then pass. I ended up not having the free time to play mm. it, and I've wanted to ever since. It's really charming. It's um, uh, got a a robot with a teapot for a head as the um narrator and uh, the star of the trailer um and he's really funny and it's a strange sort of um it kind of feels real time but it isn't in that you're on a a kind of i think it's a hex grid and you can move freely i'm playing on a gamepad and so you just move the stick to walk around smoothly but actually time is essentially frozen until you move to the next tile at which point everyone moves forwards one yeah like time moves when you do yeah basically yeah it's the super hot of hex based uh, (laughs) loot games and you the combat is incredibly simplistic uh on its basic level which is like there's just enemies hopping around and if you move into them you hit them they hit you you hit them if you do like five damage and they have seven health, you'll hit them once. You do five damage and again, they, you kill them and they get to hit you once in between that. Mm. The only, uh, variable about that is that, um, certain enemies will get the first hit in if you attack them during the day and other enemies will get the first hit in if you attack them during the night. And if you attack them in, well, in the other one, whichever that is, uh, you get the first hit in. So if you do five damage and they have four health and you attack them when it's not their time, you'll just kill them with one hit and take no damage. Sure. And how much damage you do depends on the cards you've got. So all the loot is just cards and you have a grid of like eight cards, I think. Um, and the top row is attack and the bottom row is defense. And when you find a card, uh, it'll sometimes be an attack type or a defense type. And the most basic one just is like one attack. And so you put it in the attack slot. And now if you have four of those, you've got four attack. That's how much damage you do with each attack. But then you'll get one that's like... uh plus one attack for every other saucer on this row and it is itself a saucer and so you get plus one from that and if you have another saucer then you get plus two from this card and then another one will be like if it's in an odd slot it'll do an extra plus one and then another one will be like if it's not below or something um uh, it'll have some kind of bonus and so arranging those is really interesting like figuring out that grid is really cool Uh, and then you also get sort of frames for your cards and the frames have an ability attached to them so one i've had is like teleport and if you attach that to a card then it doesn't really matter what card it's on it's just uh once if you have that at all then you get the ability to teleport and after you use it it's on a cooldown of um that doesn't uh recharge until you've moved around a certain amount and uh 
um those kind of make it more interesting to like get past tough enemies and navigate the space one of them's i think just like a fireball i had one that was like um just like filth <laughs> i can't remember what that did maybe that was the teleport one it was like a really weird connection between its theme and what it actually did but my problem with it is i just find it incredibly it's very randomized and i feel completely at the mercy of the random hmm. generation because if you haven't found any of those abilities yet literally all you can do is walk into an enemy or not and at best all you can do is walk into them when it's not their time i.e you know uh, sure. during the day if it's a nocturnal creature and if it has 10 hit points and you do three damage then you're gonna get hit however many number of times that is but like more than twice and uh that means if you only have two health you'll just die and you can heal by going back to town but you have to pay to do it and the only way you can pay to do it is by sacrificing cards and if you haven't found if you haven't filled all your slots yet then you're sacrificing a card that's actually giving you like a health point or sorry a defense point or an attack point um which is just gonna make you even worse and you're gonna fail even more uh and whether or not you find a card at all is totally random so if you just you can kill like loads of creatures and just get nothing there's literally no cards have no choices nothing no decisions to make there's nothing you can do and then if you can't get past if there's like a tough enemy that you can't find a way past you don't have any abilities to get past it you don't have any ways to fight it you don't have any way to get better all you can really do is fail and uh i find that to sort of a lesser extent just in general even when i do have a full set of cards or i get like one ability i've got this ability but i can only use it once before it's got to recharge and i've used it now and now so i'm in the same situation where there's this thing that's just got got, got like 26 health and yes i can do eight damage but that's not enough to survive sure. this thing i'm just going to die of attrition and it feels like there's so little wiggle room for you to use smart decision making mm-hmm. or or like rearranging those cards i would love to be rearranging those cards in clever ways to unlock like oh shit if i put this one here i can actually right. get enough damage to kill this guy in one hit but i just can't because i've got no cards to play with like there's no options available mm-hmm. to me i kind of want to skip like the middle of this game <laughs> yeah where i feel like there would be enough and you can kind of uh use your skill to actually yeah. do better i mean i've not played it so i don't want to make any um uh yeah i don't want to criticize it you know because i you know don't give know, it a review just, score <laughs> just based on what uh what you're saying um yeah it just it sounds like it, it, it uh, there's something i i um i thought about a lot with the development of big pharma and i i, I in, in it's um in some way something that i i didn't do well but there are some things that i did do well anyway um and one of those is a way you handle the randomness and um there's different types of randomness i i, I think in two I think two major categories and one is like true pure randomness where you literally roll a dice every time you make a decision so like you know is there a card in this enemy roll a dice if it's above 15 and out of 20 or just like one out of four <laughs> you can tell you used to play dnd uh <laughs> then you uh then there's a card right yeah. the other way is like a bucket based randomness or, or like picking a uh, something out of a out of a bag right mm. uh a vessel of your choice you know a hat mm. a bucket a bag uh and so a deck you're, of cards? you're, you're guaranteed deck of cards you're guaranteed to have the the same number of things mm. but they're going to appear in different places and i think generally that type of randomness um can be a lot more balanced but it still makes every playthrough differently and different yeah. and i think that's a, a really good way to go with this style of game the thing mm. is do you not think that so listening to you talk about that that's how i feel about literally all systems driven games that you love <laughs> like i'm like well that was random i've got no sense of how i could have dealt with that differently i'm going to have a pizza <laughs> so, I, 
maybe this is more for like the other end of the I, you know not to like defend or attack the game because I've only played like five or ten minutes of it before I realized I wouldn't have time for it but mm. like I I wonder whether it occupies a particular niche that isn't super systems driven people um but the other thing is i was talking to someone today earlier and they were saying that they really liked the i think there's like a daily challenge or something so is that a thing that changes things up in a meaningful uh yeah there is a daily challenge um i can't remember if i've played it but i wasn't sort of (laughs) Uh, I wasn't mega interested in it just because I was struggling so much just with the basic game. I just like, I can get so... Fair enough. I was just wondering if it altered it... the mindset in any uh, way. Yeah, I mean, in general, in games where randomness can screw you over, I like daily challenges mm. as a kind of antidote to that because you can say, well, my friends got equally screwed over, but of course you need <laughs> friends who are also playing it. And if you don't have any, then it doesn't mm. help. Mm. And also I'd probably just discover that my friends have a way better at it <laughs> somehow. <laughs> it wasn't random There's also at a lot all. of, like... Yeah, there, there is... There is some, I guess, I don't know if finesse is the right word, but there's some variance to how you maneuver and how enemies maneuver. And they're trying to move towards you most of the time, but some of them move away from you. Maybe there's some really, uh, if you totally understand that logic, there's ways to be really tactical about it and force the Hmm. tough ones to move away from you. I can't really imagine that happening. But I mean, if you, perhaps it guarantees that there's, that the enemies on the level, if you took them in the right order, would give you enough points to level up to, to be able yeah. to take on the toughest ones it doesn't feel that way to me it feels like they, you get runs where there's no way i could have taken on that guy he just has so much health and i haven't been given any cards at all to play mm. with i think i'm gonna try and get some time in this week to play it simply just because i mean i own it and so you know there's no reason not to but also because i'm interested in whether it is a thing that perhaps someone who isn't as systems oriented when it comes to games would either experience differently or sort of have a better relationship with almost mm. but yeah yeah i'd be interested to know mm. Mm. i also played uh, a bit of unexplored which mm. is a top-down roguelike which i was reminded of today because um uh, a friend of the podcast mike cook did a video on it i'd heard him rave about it and he uh, i was really looking forward to seeing his video on it because i did like it but i can tell i didn't like it nearly as much as he did or i didn't hadn't got to the bits that he liked um and yeah, it's really interesting to watch him play because it is incredibly deep. Um, it's a top-down roguelike that is vaguely reminiscent of like the cell stage of Spore, uh, right up Ooh. to the point that your character looks a bit like a cell stage thing <laughs> from Spore with a big goggly eye that kind of peers around as you move around. Um, but the combat is, uh, like Spore, physics-based. So you're holding like a sword in front of you, but whether it does damage depends on whether it collides with an enemy or not. And so as you move, as you turn around, you are sort of changing whether it's going to uh, clip an enemy or fail to clip an enemy so you have to be very precise about it um and you can get like a shield and that will you know physically block anything that comes in that, you know that physically hits it um so it's all about uh precise positioning and physics rather than dice rolls or or mm. hit points uh there are hit points but um what was it called again unexplored unexplored okay and it's randomly generated it's a lot like a roguelike in every other way it's just very real time and very um uh physicsy um and so you find scrolls that you don't know what they do and you have to use them to find out. And uh, it also randomly generates puzzles. And uh, I I think I missed a whole load of the stuff because I just didn't understand it. There's just like a whole load of levers, a whole load of doors. And I pulled some levers and some of the doors opened and I muddled my <laughs> way through. I never got stuck because I couldn't open a door. So I didn't really engage any further with that system. Mm. And then I just got killed by things that were just too tough for me. 
Um, but watching Mike play, he finds like a library and reads a bunch of books. And then like two floors later, he's like, oh yeah, I remember a book was telling me about these four pedestals. And because there's a key next to one of them, the book said, um, one pedestal is key. And that means I must take the artifact from that pedestal and now the door will open. <laughs> that works. It's like, holy shit. And, uh, it just has loads of those. He's been playing that, um, for ages and he's still discovering loads of new elements and weird shrines and stuff in it is it the same game every time no it's uh, very randomly generated but when you die you have the option to replay that exact same dungeon which is really oh. interesting i haven't seen that in um in other roguelikes uh, so you if it's like oh i got killed by the thing because i didn't understand it you could just have another go and then and now you do you'll start it. from exactly the same you you know you'll yeah, you'll just completely restart it, but it's just the exact same dungeon. So if you wanted to, you could just play the same dungeon over and over again. Yeah, forever. and try and perfect it. Interesting. That's, that's cool, actually. I quite like that. Yeah, I think there's no reason to stop the player doing that. Oh, well, actually, it'd be interesting to like hear Derek Yu talk about this, because I think he would argue that um, that the randomness gives it a sense of mystery. Like, you encounter sure. that thing that one time, and now you can't get it, get it, get to it again. Mm. Um, Who is the developer? Do you know? Um, I don't know, but I think it's a friend of Mike's, and he, he talked about like um it has been kind of lauded in academic circles for being a really interesting example of procedural generation from an academic point of view and he thinks that's almost a shame because he thinks all the rest of the game design is incredibly smart really we should just have mike on here talking about this (laughs) that sounds good we should invite mike back on the returning indie guest Mm. tour um speaking of which tim what have you been playing i realized i asked you about your game but not what you've been up to so um i have been playing quite a lot i've been getting my retro on i've been playing quite a lot of roller coaster tycoon (laughs) this is my theme park management game of choice um i haven't played planet coaster yet uh partly because i don't like playing games that are like uh, like new games that are in a similar genre because like uh, it makes me feel weird uh, when i'm still working on a game i'll play it after my game comes out (laughs) anyway and man roller coaster tycoon it's still so good i love it so much i'm playing number two i should mention um and one of the things that I'm really enjoying about it, one of the things I think is really interesting is the way it feeds back to you in a thematic way. It's about, it's like what we were talking about earlier. Um, and the thing I'm talking about in particular is guest thoughts. So, um, for any particular ride, you can go and see what guests are thinking about it or any particular stall. Um, or even you can just get a list on it for your entire park. And, um, I love this because it gives you little hints like, you know, this ride is too intense or is not exciting enough or it's too expensive. Um, and it's a bit like the autopsy thing. It's, it's a really nice <laughs> way, you know, it's a really this nice way. This ride has killed this person. And I, I, I didn't realize the last time I played was quite a few years ago. And I, I guess, I don't know, wasn't uh, as an experienced gamer and uh i use this system now this system all the time like as soon as i build a ride the first thing i do is go check out the thoughts and i just thought oh man that's such a great thing and i've not seen it in that many games like um i have no idea if planet coaster does it it probably does but um i think that's super sweet um i've also been playing um up game so i don't have any like little hidden gems to tell you guys about <laughs> unfortunately uh but hopefully uh, i can say some interesting stuff about the games i have been playing uh so i recently got back into hearthstone uh so <laughs> was that for the expansion that's right so the expansion just came out and i actually haven't played for the last two expansions i haven't played for about a year mm. but uh day nine one of the youtubers i watch he was playing some uh some hearthstone and, and the new expansion and so i dove back in and oh oh blizzard <laughs> you're just 
you're just so good. Like, I just, like, I just admire what they do so much. As soon as I get in, it's like, we haven't seen you for a while. Here's some free cards. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> that night, I'd already given them more money. Like, ah, <laughs> oh, they're so good. They had this starter pack. Anyway, no, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about monetization. That's not, you know, that's, 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 people, people have talked about that a lot. And what I want to talk about. Even though about, it's such great value and makes you feel so good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I want to talk about is, uh, something I hadn't thought about before. It's actually something that, Day nine said, "I'm just completely copying him." But basically, <laughs> just get day, day nine and Mike on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that would be better. But basically, he said that there's, there's kind of two. I'm paraphrasing, but there's two ways to enjoy Hearthstone. So if you've got enough money, or you do it as a job, you can just buy all the cards, and then you can have loads of fun just creating really wicked combo decks. You don't have that annoying thing of like, "Oh, I'm missing that one card that makes this deck work." But you're missing out on another way of playing the game, which is enjoying that 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 curve where you're always unlocking new cards. And so over a long period, you're getting new decks that you can create. And that's quite exciting when you open up that card pack and you're like, oh, there's four different cards I haven't even got yet. This might open up some new possibilities. Um, and yeah, I just thought that was really interesting because up until mm. now, I'd always thought, I wish I had all the cards. But actually, last few days with that new perspective, I've been thinking... I'm actually getting more excited about about kind of grinding. I know it sounds weird, but like actually that adds a... It's like it's a game within a game. Like, you know what I mean? For for reasons beyond the video games we have this podcast, I've come around on the idea of CCGs as opposed to LCGs, like limited card games, yep. where things are sold in fixed sets, which I always thought was the best way to do it. Me too. You spend a certain amount of money and you get the cards rather than mm. some of the cards with potential for duplicates. Yep. I'm coming around for the idea for similar reasons, I think. But I think with Hearthstone specifically, something I realized was that I think there is the flip side to that is that there is particularly when new expansions come out, and I think I was a little bit like you that I hadn't played mm. the game for about a year and I'd missed two expansions or sure. one expansion. There's the fatigue of like, oh boy, I've got some road to travel yeah. in order to get back into this, and I, I actually jumped back into Hearthstone as well, but I immediately just found myself going, I could explore this rabbit hole of the last two expansions yeah. in the previous one. Or I can just do what I've always done, which is play a silly deck that I've had since the, whatever it was called, the Cthulhu expansion is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just do that because it's funny and then do nothing else with that game. And I've sort of tempered the randomness just by only doing one thing because that's the sort of way to pass time with it because I'm unlikely now to spend any more money on it or invest Mm. anything in it. But it sounds like you have clicked with it in the I'm back into this way rather than the... I don't know. I just, um, it was just they gave me enough to kind of get back into it and I suddenly got a load more packs and I was like oh actually maybe I could do some stuff here they've you know they've got this whole you know standard versus wild thing yeah mm. and um I, I think it's a double-edged sword in some ways it's great because there was a few ex- couple of expansions that have just rotated out that you can no longer play with in standard mode you can still play with any cards you, you own in wild um and so I, I missed a couple of expansions and I have no cards from them and I kind of don't care because in standard, no one else is playing with those either. So it's a bit of an equaliser. You only have to kind of collect the cards in the most recent expansion. At the same time, you have this niggling doubt, which is... So in like a year or two, all of the cards from the new expansions now are going to rotate out. So can I be bothered to, to get them? So it's it's a real tricky one because in some ways it makes me want to play more now, but it's also making me not really want to get any of the new expansions. Hmm. It's making me want to just get the, the core classic cards, which never rotate out. Hmm. Um, so yeah, tricky. Now the other, the, the final game I have been playing another, I don't know if you'll have heard of it. It's another, it's kind of another smallish game. It's called Dota 2. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> arms are raised in <laughs> so i've been playing i i first played it had a little play around with it a couple of years ago and i'm just getting back into it and I'm, now i'm playing it quite regularly um 
I, I still haven't played online yet. I've only played against That's bots. All right, all <laughs> things fine. in time. Uh, It'll take many years to ruin your life. Yeah, but ah, oh, it's so good. And kind of uh, talking about those, um, the curve that I was talking about uh, with Hearthstone in terms of like um, you get that. Uh, gain in power over a long period as you're gaining new cards and that's exciting now what dota 2 does amazingly well is you get to experience the entire power curve every time you play so you start off level one you know and i'm sure people have said this before but it is just it's such a great um way of kind of looking at that the kind of two extremes of the spectrum um and of, and of course you've got that balance which is basically also every time you play you go back to square one at the end of it so you can't mm. keep any of your progress apart from like aesthetics and stuff like that no gameplay improvements um whereas in hearthstone you you know if you play for two hours you can say oh i have more cards than i used to have i think it's really interesting and and yeah i just like those two examples from kind of looking at a, a power curve uh i suppose it's thing. M- most pronounced in dota because obviously every every moba has the thing of you go through your level curve in the context of a match but dota is the only one I can think of that has no form of out-of-game progression. You're not unlocking characters, you're not unlocking mm. skills well, for I your mean, account. Well, I mean, you do have that ridiculous, like, badge that up levels, you know, it's like, oh, well, now you're a tango. You're yeah, like, it does, oh, you do, do you have, yeah. like, a cosmetic now level. It's all cosmetic, though, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's not like you're buying, you know, it's not like you're getting points that you put towards new characters yeah, or anything else right. that could be perceived as... Who um, do you play as, by the way? Uh, all... No, um, uh, God, I, so I haven't played Dota in over two months, which is kind of crazy for me. This is the longest break I've ever had. And it was purely because of, I don't even know why. I, I, I've started to feel it recently. I've started to feel the pull. I think what happened was I got more into tabletop games for my competitive side and mm-hmm. then just sort of socially without the right people together. I lost, I lost the, well, I lost the draft player by myself, which is probably the biggest thing. Maybe I want to go back. We shall see. Um, but no, I think you, you, having a main in Dota is the way you learn and mm. then because the game gives you no reason to focus on one character because you don't level up for that specific mm. character you don't in terms of your account you don't you haven't spent any money on that character so now it just sort of expands out into this sort of well, kind web of... of I don't know like I find that it does encourage you to main because you get so much abuse if you ever step outside your comfort zone <laughs> which extent, you yeah. know so I <laughs> oh will play God. Witch Doctor and Lich until the end of time <laughs> because Serious. yeah like well, I mean because I'm I'm decent at them yeah. but also because it's just not worth spending 50 more hours yeah. trying to get adequate at mm. something else do you find it's a huge step in terms of like yeah your play level when you if you it's so, it tanks it yeah. absolutely tanks but yeah, the true. mmr does not reflect of course. that at all right, because right. it's MMRs, like but yeah. you're good at the other two characters in this <laughs> hundred plus character game yeah so that was a very specific answer for me because i never specialized so i always mm. played very broadly like i've got you know, friends, including Pip, who are really, really, really good at specific heroes, and I've always mm. been a generalist, so I've always just played a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, Axe is probably my most oh. famous Axe man. Probably, probably I love the, a bit of Axe. As, a uh, l- last one I played as it was Axe, really? actually. <laughs> me and my brother, Philip, we, he, uh, he's just getting into it with me. And, um, so yeah, we played against bots on easy. And I, I'm like, I know, like, I'm, I'm not good in any way, but like, I, I have probably played like 30, 40 games now. So I'm mm. getting to that point compared to my brother who's played like five. When you played 40 and, hours um, of a game, you are 1% of the one. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, oh. against like easy bots now as Axe, I just like, you know, his, his ultimate, which is like refreshes if you kill someone. I'm just 
like splam 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 <laughs> yeah it's it's fun and then i'll play online eventually and it'll be like oh i'll die just so much <laughs> uh, i don't know you might find that you have an amazing honeymoon period of just i sure. actually know what i'm doing i'm going to stomp everyone mm. for yeah. about you know 20 games then you're like oh no i've reached 200 mmr now now everyone beats me i know is that's the weird thing about these games i mean they have to work like this it's the only way the system balances is basically they have to aim for you to win half your games like they'll put you out in mmr so you win half your games unless you're slowly improving and Mm. then you'll win a little bit more than 50 percent and your mmr will slowly increase but um it's, it's this weird thing which is it's kind of sad when you reach a higher mmr because you you will lose more. Whereas yeah. that road up must feel amazing if you're just naturally, you know, a, pretty good at it. I don't know. When but... I switched to League of Legends, because I actually play more League now, sure. um, I found that because obviously it was calibrating my MMR as a new player because mm. I was and it was a new account and everything like that. But it was a new account with 2,000 hours of Dota behind it. And so it was like, hello. And I would get like, because it has this thing where it figures out, it it doesn't MMR you, but it, uh, as in, it doesn't sort of stick you in an outrageously high MMR thing straight away, but it sort of tries to detect if anyone's smurfing Mm. and pairs you with other people it thinks are. So I would get shouted at from people with smurf accounts because they would be really angry that I didn't seem to know League of Legends specific (laughs) terms. And I was like, no, I'm genuinely new. (laughs) So smurfing is where you're a high level character, but you start a new account to seem low level. Yeah, and, and to just sort of either stomp on newbies or to maybe just play with friends who are lower than you and mm. it's just easier that okay. way. Um, or to play incognito. Some people do that. Um, mm. But like, so that's, so the majority of my time in league nowadays is spent in ARAM, which is the all random, all mid, just one single lane of stuff. And because I find you still get the power curve experience of like getting a lot more powerful of, of, you know, actually sort of seeing a change in your character over time and their ability to do things and curating that somewhat, Mm -hmm. but you don't lose quite as much time and people aren't as inclined to get angry because it's more of a throwaway thing Mm. because you don't have as much control over the character and it's not as time sinky and as role dependent and you know people will maybe sometimes leave or they won't take it seriously and they'll just dive or whatever but you can do your own thing and i still get pleasure out of getting Mm. my kill death assist ratios to where i want them to be or absolutely dumping on someone as brown who's like a support character it's just like hello 35 119 (laughs) 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 enjoy that (laughs) yeah definitely like there's definitely a thing when you've played a certain amount of Dota, and Dota is my first MOBA, and I played a lot of Dota. And when you go and play a different MOBA, it's like it's an amazing feeling. Until until, until all these games have their skill mm. caps, and you know you will get MMR'd eventually. But while it catches up, because it you know Dota is the hardest one, so they're all. Hots was just an amazing. I, I still play. So actually, I played quite a lot of Heroes of the Storm recently, partly because I'm writing about it, but um. I'm working on some Heroes of the Storm stuff, but Heroes of the Storm is like, um, I see, I have appreciation for that game now. I do. Uh, I think it fulfills a purpose. Mm. Um, it's a very teamwork focused game, but it's not very focused on anything else. Dota, like, Dota is all games in that regard, in that genre, at least. It is the sort of omni game. And most of the games have picked out one or two things from Dota sure. that they will do to the same degree of complexity and then they'll make other things simpler. Um, 
the thing here is the storm has retained, I think, is to some degree sort of teamwork on both a map level and a specific level. It's just almost everything about the game is really easy. Um, but because everything else about the game is really easy and online no one has ever cooperated with another human being under any circumstances, um, it means that ultimately it comes down to sort of, apart from just moving around the map at the right time, a sort of Dota, like any level of Dota finesse makes hearts super gratifying, um, which is cheating. It's full on cheating, really. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's a great feeling. I had the same thing with Smite when I started playing Smite and it didn't know where to put me MMR wise. And I, you know, my first, I won my first 18 ranked games <laughs> yeah. in a row and it was like, and then you talk about it wants you to be in a 50% win rate and the system's just like, I don't, I don't fucking know. <laughs> like, <laughs> 18 in a row. Like, where do I put this person? Yeah. Put him against the king. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then you start to get destroyed for a bit and it, well, no, eventually you start to hit friction and Dota's the only other game, because Dota was my first game, it was all friction all the way. It was yeah. all difficult forever. Yeah, and yeah, so I stuck yeah. with it. Whereas every other game I basically played until it started until to get hard. hard. And then I've just died. Oh, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> like if I wanted a challenge, I'd go play Dota. So all I wanted to do was be good at something for a while on like Dota. Um, like, yeah. And that, that applies to everything now. Like I played so much for honor. Actually, for honor was probably the game that took me out of Dota thinking about it. Cause I started to play that competitively okay. and take that seriously. And I got like through the prestige thing once. And then it was like, Oh, this is hard now. Mm. And yeah, it's weird. It's a bit like gambling. It's a zero sum game, and um, it feels obviously really good if you're winning lots of games. But you got to remember at the same time, like if you're stopping people, that means there must be people who are losing the exact same proportion. It could be spread out over multiple people, but they're losing the exact same amount that you're winning mm. more than them because it's a zero sum game. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah like, it's got a thing. Yeah, with like poker or something like that. If you win, you're like great, but I have just taken all my friends' money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a misery factory. <laughs> yeah. It's my favorite game. But it's like... a misery factory. <laughs> that's why I like yeah. the ARAM stuff because it's. It's like, well, if the people on my team aren't taking it seriously, I don't think the others are either. And so it's it's just, it doesn't feel as damaging to yeah. anybody's life. Yeah, I kind of like the brawls in Overwatch for that reason as well. It's like, you sort of feel like no one really cares whether they win or lose. It's just, mm. And also, like, every time they patched a class in TF2 because everyone just played that class and the whole team strategy just went to hell and like, <laughs> yeah, right. neither of us are going to do anything worthwhile here. We're all pyros and we're all immune to pyros. So. <laughs> Yeah, um, it, it, it's like it's interesting. The whole tone of the Dota community is set entirely by the fact that it is about coping with how unhappy you are, which is very, <laughs> which is very hard to. Wow. So it's hard to dislocate any other form of entertainment where it's like that. You know, um, almost everything is defined by the struggle, right? Like mm. by managing your own misery, by managing the misery that you face from other people. Like camping. Yes, like camping. <laughs> like camping. Yeah, gosh, that's yeah. the days, aren't they? <laughs> Counter-Strike. And others, obviously. Um, oh, wait, you meant other type of camping. Yeah, no, oh, we meant literally outdoor camping. camping. You meant outdoor camping. Sorry, yeah, terrible. Oh, I took a completely different oh, route no, on that. Oh, no, but I, I mean, yeah. to be fair, that seemed valid as well. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. That Good. works. Yeah. Um, what's <laughs> yeah, um... I watched, yeah, I'm too, I am scared to, to go play against real people. Um, just cause like, so I watched quite a lot of high level Dota and I watched like Purge. Uh, if you've been watching the Purge in day nine thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's, that's probably why you got into it, right? That's, <laughs> yeah. no, no, the funny thing is that's why I got back into, that is why I got back into Dota. It's also why I got back into Hearthstone to start <laughs> watching more day nine stuff. Anyway, but, um, and like, I think like, like Purge, I think he like, he seems like a, like a good guy, but then every now and again, he's just like, oh, what's this guy doing? He's yeah, rubbish. Yeah. And I'm just like, that could have been, <laughs> like, that guy's probably like 10 times better than I am. So you just, you, that idea that you just kind of escape that 
criticism. I don't do yeah. criticism very well. Um, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. <laughs> been a been game game <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, learning to Dota is a bit, it's like you have to accept how, like, I mean, Purge's guide to Dota, the famous one is called mm. Welcome to Dota, You Suck. Mm. And it's because you have to internalize that. You have yeah. to internalize how terrible you are before you're allowed to get better. <laughs> and again, this is not something that most forms of entertainment, particularly <laughs> power fantasy entertainment, like games ask you to consider. Sure. Like, you know, there's no one's made a single player game about how fucking awful you are. You specifically, <laughs> not everyone else, you. Like, there's no Call of Duty where you were the worst man in the army <laughs> yeah, yeah. and everyone else is better yeah. and no one else wants you to be there. Like, you're Negligence running. of duty. <laughs> your, your sprint meter just like runs out way <laughs> for all of your, all of your uh, squad mates and they just run on ahead and the battle's your over. Your gun by the seems a lot louder than theirs. It's, it's scary yeah, to fire yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It keeps jamming. They should make that. Someone really should make yeah. that. But that would be Dota, right? That That yeah. is Dota. It is, you know, it's anti-entertainment. <laughs> Feeling quite at ease with my decision to not play Dota. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I miss it. I really do miss it. You're going to play now? Yeah. Right now, actually, in the time around. No, no, I'm not. Well, if you don't mind, like, holding the hand of a noob, like, uh, no, def- totally, totally, totally love, if you guys fancy <laughs> having a game sometime. Yeah, yeah, totally. I sure. just, yeah, it's, I don't know how the hell it's going to match make that. Actually, yeah. it probably won't. Let I us don't play know. It, it, like, it wouldn't let us play ranked as in, cause it wouldn't unranked. ever let me play ranked with, sh- uh, with, um, yeah, Sean, yeah, or with, um, it won't let us play ranked. Shane, we, we rather. Can play, we can play Sorry. unranked. Yeah. Ranked, it puts a, a MMR differential. Yeah, restriction it, it. it makes sense it'd yeah be unfair. um but you never know you might have a hidden mmr of 4k or something in I which case doubt that. <laughs> yeah. um i do not <laughs> but i don't care <laughs> yeah god used to that was a miserable time yeah. of my life Indeed. and yours uh, as yeah. a result <laughs> do you miss it though don't know why. not that <laughs> So what have you been playing, Chris? Well, I've been playing. So um actually, one thing I did want to mention quickly was that I've been playing. I did actually play the Overwatch event last night because I forgot, completely forgotten I'd done this. Uh The Overwatch PVE thing they've added. Oh, yeah. We mentioned it last week without knowing it's anything that about tracer it. Thing. No, it's the a Tracer's in it, but it's their man versus machine, man versus <laughs> gentleman versus Robert mode. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but actually, it's pretty good. In fact, it feels like playing. I so. You know they were trying to make Titan, which was their shooter MMO for years and years and years. They tried to make the game for about six, seven years. It died. They cancelled the project and made Overwatch instead out of that game's multiplayer mode. That is, mm. that's how Overwatch came to be. Um, this new, um, basically it's set in the King's Row map, but it's set in, in like, during the backstory war that has taken place yeah, before Overwatch. Like terrible backstory war. from 20 <laughs> years ago. Yeah, it's Trace's right? first mission, yeah. But, uh, like, because the whole thing takes place... No, it's seven years in the past, right? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you, it's, and each of you picks a character from Chorbjorn, Tracer, Reinhardt, and Mercy. Um, no duplicates, so each one just has to pick a role. And then it's just... It's pretty straightforward, like, objective-based PvE, essentially. Like, you, you're fighting against ways of robots. There are multiple robot classes. All kind of new stuff. Uh, you have to capture points at first and get through a couple of different capture points and survive waves on each point. And then you have to defend a payload for a while and you have to push that payload all the way to the end and then you have to fight a boss. And it's straightforward stuff, but it takes about the same amount of time as a, a WoW dungeon would, I guess. Mm. And actually it really makes me think, oh, this is what instances would have been like in Titan. It really feels like this is a single dungeon instance. Like, does mm. anyone want to run? This is called something like King Assault on King's Row or something. And I can I can imagine in my mind's eye the chat channel in an MMO saying, like, I'm looking for one more for yeah, Assault yeah, on King's totally. Row. It really feels like that. It feels like the closest they've ever gotten to Titan, or what Titan was probably going to be. 
Um, and I, it's actually quite fun. It's, it's nice, um, having a version of Overwatch where you have the same powers, but loads of enemies, like little robots, mm. big robots. And then there are sort of cameo appearances by, like, there are ro- enemy robots that are the same type as Bastion. They're not Bastion, <laughs> but they're, you know, Bastion type robots. And there are Orisa type robots as well. And so those are, those are sort of, little throwback but everything else is new and so you have like lots of tiny little robots that charge up and start to do loads of damage to the payload if they can get close to it i'm playing as reinhardt who's pretty much my overwatch main he's sort of sweeping them away with his big balls of hammer and it's really satisfying and it's all puts a play at the game at the end when you know for whoever did like the most damage in one go um and you get a box with stuff in it and it's quite nice it's a really simple thing but it was it was pretty nice but the, the reason that's the only thing i've played is because i just got back from star wars land orlando Orlando Calrissian. <laughs> a, exactly. <laughs> I laughed. Thanks. I, I keep trotting out variants in that joke. Mixed success rate. I love how you didn't actually even never try it with me. I did. No. I did. Oh, did I just not you, get it? You, got, you didn't understand it to the extent you didn't even think I'd try. Oh, okay. No, I just, I did not register You're with just that one. saying no. random words? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought you said he was the opposite of Han Solo. I said, something. I said, no, I said, you know, only the Millennium Falcon. What? Han Orlando. Oh no, I didn't get that. Ah. I was just I looked at you for a while. <laughs> okay. Tim gets it. Yeah, because yeah, I was just like, no, it is Han Orlando, right? Yeah. Like sure. Orlando, Florida. I don't get it. No. <laughs> Let's not get into this again. This joke has had more airtime than it ever deserved. But um so I was there for the for the Star Wars land, which uh, I was also went to last year, which was nice. Good things about that show, there were things I don't like that about that show. Um but the reason I was specifically there was for work and it was to see the um, announcement of Battlefront 2, which uh, was sort of the trailer leaked the week before, but it was sort of formally announced and trailered over the weekend. And I, I've been obviously very um, vocal on the pod about the things I like and predominantly don't like about the first Battlefront. When I say the first Battlefront, I don't mean Battlefront 1 or <laughs> Battlefront 2. I mean Battlefront. Yeah, because there's there was the Battlefront one and two came out. Didn't they call it Star Wars Battlefront? Right. Yeah. Well, the first one was Star Wars Battlefront. Right. Then there was Star Wars Battlefront two. Was it? Yeah. What's what's the latest one before this? What new one? Star Wars Battlefront. Right. They've repeated the one you didn't. They're just repeating the whole thing. Star Wars Battlefront. (laughs) Which one? The first or the third? The third. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Like it. Interesting. Have to talk about that another time. Which one's the one about World War One? Battlefield. <laughs> right. Okay. No, I was completely <laughs> thinking of the right game. Um, Lego Star Wars. <laughs> Live long. Knights prosper. of the Old Republic. Um, <laughs> so um, the, but, you know. So uh, the reasons I didn't like. I mean, and I played a bit about front last night to try and share myself about this. I just didn't enjoy it as a shooter. I think it had the depth for it. I think it's sure a beautiful looking, amazing Smells looking game. And the sound. Yeah. <laughs> like. That's the only thing I remember about that. I saw it at E3, but they made us queue in a line that was that I think it had like the the fake smoke stuff, but it smelt like yogurt. And so we were just there for about forty minutes waiting to play Star Wars Battlefront. And then all I can remember, I can't remember anything about it except there was a lot of snow and it smelled like yogurt. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> Hoth smells like yogurt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, isn't helpful is it no no anyway but yes um but so you know i think it's a beautiful looking game i actually bought the season pass partly because i just wanted to be in all of those environments mm. and each new recreation of a set and it's an amazing feeling and sounding thing i don't think it's a very well designed shooter unfortunately in terms of 
it create like it has the potential to create interesting moments, but they don't happen frequently enough to justify the randomness of the systems and things like that. Yeah, I'm I'm tempted to agree. Um, I uh, I did a little blog post about it. It's a it's very much at the casual end of the market. Like yeah, that it's I think it's a it's very much a uh uh deliberate decision the way it is and i think because i think it'll appeal to a certain type of person mm. um uh, but yeah there's a lot of a lot of kind of feel it feels quite random and it feels like you, you feel like you're getting you get punished by randomness quite a lot yeah it feels like I, th- I think it's possible to go for the audience they're obviously going for without without um making without making the mistakes that they made mm, it's possible okay. to make it an accessible shooter that mm you know doesn't feel as random for people simply the fact that i think it's very hard to tell between all the weapons i think it's very that's yeah, something that's it's a fair point like yeah. it's really hard to tell what each gun is good at and that's just confusing it's actually counter yeah. to the aims of the game um but anyway that's yeah. battlefront one so they know sure. battlefront two and um the full disclosure thing i should do is that my friend mitch works on this so um, my friend mitch dyer is formerly of ign is i think a good mate and he's one of the two writers on this with uh walt williams who, part of your sort of dota scene right yeah he, he go around the recreational which is mm. the um that you was like, a good work yeah i became friends with mitch <laughs> through dota actually um and so he's so the, the full disclosure is yeah he he's my friend he's, he's making star wars now um and um and he is the co-writer of the single player version which is new uh with walt williams who wrote spec ops the line um which is a very well written well re- well received um third person shooter um and, and also one of the great american poets no. <laughs> it's a joke because I keep getting confused with Walt Whitman well, yeah I keep trying to say that as well well I kept thinking he was going to start talking about Johnny Cash because of Walk the Line so, you know. <laughs> oh my God. I don't think any of us are doing particularly well this evening um, and yeah so you know I can talk about I, I didn't really see very much beyond what was shown on the stage um, during the presentation which obviously went out to the public so that's all out there but the, the things I find interesting about it are that um, well, for one thing, the scope of the game has become so much bigger. So it now has a single player campaign and the multiplayer will involve all three eras of Star Wars. So it'll have Clone Wars stuff, it'll have the original trilogy and it'll have new trilogy, which is kind of nuts from an expanded yeah. production point of view. But the thing about that is the first game was made by DICE, but this is being made by DICE, Criterion and Motive. Motive being Jade Raymond's new studio. So the single player is being made by Motive. The multiplayer is being made by DICE. And all of the vehicle stuff is being made by Criterion, who did, I believe, Criterion of Burnout, aren't they? Is that right? I think so, yeah. Um, So they're they're a racing game developer, basically. Yeah, yeah. And they're being put in charge of all the vehicles, which I think is, speaking to them, and I'm writing some stuff about this, is actually an interesting, like, you know, it's easy to see that big multi-studio development thing is dystopian. But I think in the right circumstances, if you're locating something that each studio is good at, then it could could work. I mean, it's kind of... Gosh, yeah. It's mad ambitious, but it's also, you know, the... The fact that they're broadening the scope of it this much is is also kind of one of those kind of mad things of just making getting one of those eras right would have been enough. But like, yeah, did Battlefield One have a single player component? Battlefront One. Sorry, yeah, uh, not, not really. Like, not really. There are like, also like, two like Battlefield ones. Bots. Like they have, <laughs> yeah. and they right. it was lame. no, no like, story, no, no. Thing. And so all of this stuff is um, all that stuff is just multiplayer. Um, is the Clone Wars stuff the bad stuff? Yes. Like the pre- the prequels. Prequels. Yeah, it was the like, second yeah. prequel. Well, yeah. Really, really, yeah. Yes. Prequels. Hey. I was going to call it the prelogy. So. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> yes. Uh, it is. Okay. Pre- so well, why actually, are they still? I didn't think that those were. Hang on, they're the ones that are allowed to exist, right? It's the alternate <laughs> universe that. The isn't. expanded universe we've made non-canon. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> um, but 
Um, <gasps> like, this is why we have a separate podcast where I attempt to explain Star Wars. <laughs> is Mara Jade still canon? No. Oh, She's actually one of the characters that doesn't come back, which is interesting. But actually, so th- that's an interesting, um, handing off point because, um, one of the things that really struck me is, so they announced a single player. And the single player sounds really interesting in scope. And this is the thing where I'm wary of, um, sort of bigging it up so much because literally my friend wrote it, which is such a weird experience <laughs> for me and not having opinions on Star Wars. But it's about, um, the single player will be about a, um, Imperial Special Forces unit that, uh, led by, uh, a, a woman called Aiden Versio, um, who vow revenge on the rebellion after the Emperor is killed. And the story follows them and they are the good guys of the story. Is this, uh, episode seven era? Uh, it's, it's expanded 30 years. But wasn't okay. the Emperor evil? This is an excellent question. <laughs> Not from her well, perspective. I mean, so Star Wars hasn't, the Star Wars hasn't experimented with moral My ambiguity. perspective, the Jedi are evil. Exactly. That is the only time Star Wars has ever exper- previously experimented with moral ambiguity in the films. <laughs> if you can call it that. that yeah, exactly. Um, but so within the context of the story, it's like about, you know, the experience of people who were very loyal to the Empire and believed in what the Empire stood for. Is this why we're not allowed to have any more Jedis? Yes. Yes. That's a lot. Order 66 means Order 66, as the Emperor famously decreed. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Shall we just, I'll I'll just not ask uh, any more questions. But one thing that was really, um, that stood out to me about it is, so in that, in the course of that, um, single complete, single player campaign will begin immediately after the Battle of Endor and carry up all the way to the new movies, which is the year span, basically. And there will be like missions where you jump off to play as a different character and the two that they confirmed were Luke Skywalker and Kylo Ren. So that kind of gives you the sense of the span of time it's going to cover. So we're going to actually like learn, well, I mean, I guess It'll, like Star Wars buffs might already know the story between those two. Not, movies, not, but, so not to an extent, but yeah. so a lot of the new books and things that they're doing cover a bit of that period. Yeah. And this is sort of being threaded into that period, oh, which I'm is kind of rad. Yeah. Now. The trailer's good. <laughs> and, um, um, but one thing that's nice about it is, um, you know, the, the protagonist, the, the hero, the imperial hero of this story, um, is, is a woman. And one of the things that came out of Star Wars Celebration more broadly is how, um, you know, we talked a little bit um, last week when we were talking about this this subject that EA actually have a pretty good track record on diversity in their games now, generally. Um, and what impressed me out there is that actually that partnership with Lucasfilm makes a lot of sense considering if I was to name, like, or Disney more broadly, like, major entertainment producers, like big publishers of entertainment in any medium that are actually taking diversification of their stuff seriously lucasfilm would also be up there because that was this was also the event where they announced um their new uh sort of cartoon short range which is all based on female protagonists i've actually i've, I've totally forgotten what it's called because i think it has the phrase destiny in the title and i have three different star wars things <laughs> with destiny in the title. um i think so so I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes but they're doing these um cartoon shorts each one of which will be about ray one of which will be about jenna so from rogue one one of which will be about sabine from star wars rebels and all these different characters and there's recently toy range around it um which are um star wars action figures but done in barbie proportions um so they look like barbies in terms of that but they're not calling them dolls they're calling them um adventure figures i think but they're specifically aiming them at young women sure um, which obviously maybe makes sense from a marketing perspective but one of the things that really struck me being at that event and it's, this struck me last year as well, but it's had a few years to set in now. And you maybe think of this by mentioning Mara Jade, who was one of the few female characters in 
few sort of active female heroes in Star Wars in the old expanded mm. universe. And she was the star of the Jedi Knight expansion pack. She was. was yeah. Uh, Mysteries of the Sith, I think. Mm. Um, is these shows show you immediately and very visibly the practical fact of why making those decisions is important because suddenly like because the missile celebration both years that i've been it's been quite a diverse event by nerdy pop culture event standards particularly <laughs> because i'm used to the video game events but like there are so many rays and Ursos and sabines running around still loads of mara jades as well like in terms of costumes <laughs> wow. and like and as those and like um one of the most poignant moments that I had at the event was watching the the panel for the new um, movie. And during that panel, they revealed Kelly Marie Tran's character in, in the new film. Um, and I was just happened to be stood in the crowd next to an Asian American woman who just burst into tears, like happily burst into tears, not in a, in a bad way. And it was like, Oh shit. And you just suddenly see the, the, how meaningful this is. So the fact that EA have a good track record, Lucasfilm have a good track record and, and they, they are just putting in, they're putting another, you know, you know, uh, strong female protagonist into Star Wars in this way, and in and specifically also given that this is this this is this year's EA shooter, right? This is you know Battlefield and Battlefront are, seem to be swapping in and out on on each other's off years. Interesting. Like I would, I would be, I haven't played any of the Battlefield single player campaigns I think mm. ever, uh, but I've I've always thought like I quite enjoy some Call of Duty games, and I was thought if if I if I was reviewing it, I'd probably sort of get something out of it. It'd be like decently entertaining. And so if you just switch that with Star Wars, I'm way more interested because it's sci-fi mm. immediately. Yeah. And then also if it's a bad guy, that's immediately more interesting. As soon as you're mm. on the uh, on the bad side, even if it's sort of like a bad guy with a heart of gold type story, that's still way more interesting than... Yeah, and than... actually the, the direction they seem to be taking it, and like I haven't seen you know more than it's in the trailer really, but is that they're not like it's not they're not waiting to become rebels they're not like that kind of like they'll realize halfway through the game that the empire was bad uh the setup is that you know you are from a planet that will willingly joined the empire and benefited from it tremendously and really <laughs> believes in it and uh you know i i believe that they're going to address the fact that something like the death star is unambiguously bad <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> are, we, are we the baddies yeah. um death star. but still like you know the trailer shows her like vowing to crush the rebellion and pointing <laughs> a gun at luke skywalker so there's like there's not a lot of ambiguity there so it's a genuine interesting angle to take i mean there's a limit yeah. on which how how shades of gray that can be really but but yeah i genuinely i think it's i think it's promising like i'm holding out um one thing they did say is that they're going to stop doing there'll be some like of the power-up stuff but it won't be quite as arbitrary feeling as it was in battlefront mm. one it sounds like and they're a bit woolly on this it sounds like there'll be a resource system in multiplayer and you'll build up points and then you can cash in those points for things like being a hero character or being a vehicle mm. rather than um be there at the right time be there at the right time get the right pickup and you get to be darth vader for a bit sure um which sounds promising they also said specifically that the hero characters were going to be more physical and more grounded which i think is shorthand for the fastest way i get to get across the map as darth vader will not be to do bounding leaps <laughs> as he is famous for doing in the movies <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Can um, it be for him to like call in an imperial shuttle to fly him there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, mean, I was actually—I don't know who I was talking to. This. I had, I've had a lot of conversations about Star Wars over this weekend, as you might expect. Mm. But one of them was like, you to do this right, Darth Vader should only be able to power walk at people. Mm. Like, you know. Uh, so true. minor spoilers. Well, I guess no spoilers. So fast forward thirty seconds if you haven't seen Rogue One. But if Darth Vader ever ran, based on the last sequence in Rogue One, that whole trilogy wouldn't happen. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? The, like, yeah, if he if he wasn't determined to power saunter down a corridor, lasering well, rebel like, soldiers. Yes, have you ever yeah. seen any of the America's Next Top Model things where they're all told to be their own wind <laughs> machine? You know, and if you walk progressively <laughs> enough forward, then your hair will like billow out in just the right way for a photo shoot. Right, like that's, that's Darth Vader. Yeah, but with his cape, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. essentially, yeah. Yeah, he, be, he wants machine. to billow. He doesn't want to flap. Yeah. So he doesn't yeah. want to go too fast. Yeah, so. totally. totally. <laughs> exactly. He's very style conscious. And you, like, you can tell by that sequence. I totally agree with you, actually. Like, he's doing it, he's doing it for the style points. Also, the image of him, like, in sort of the icy battlefield of Hoth, like, power walking across this vast expanse. And <laughs> just imagine the camera panning out and like, okay, is it going to be a while? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing is Vader always used to be about power walking down a corridor or having suddenly arrived at a door. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You can never yeah. see yes. him get to somewhere. Yeah, he can't really be a strategic asset in any kind of um yeah. sensible way or he breezes across a thing while like deflecting things casually with his lightsaber yes like, he can do that maybe yeah. but a... he doesn't run i to- i never no. considered this before he's mad but like when you see pe- when you see people running around as darth vader in uh battlefront yeah it looks really weird he makes him feel completely different like this kind of sprightly yeah. i mean obviously he's super powerful but like he just doesn't run does he they oh, try really stuff unnatural like, or even stuff like the emperor just being there at all yeah the emperor yeah. shouldn't yeah. be here like, emperor's kind of jumping that's, around well, that's, that's just stuff. not what he does he no. just he'd be fucking off watching <laughs> it on tv <laughs> he should be sat that's in a true. chair phoning someone what, and somewhere like, on the map and if you have this? to fight the emperor you yeah. have to go to him yeah. <laughs> like, it's like the series finale of uh, season four of the West Wing, where okay. Leo runs down a corridor, and you're like, Leo is running. Someone in the West Wing is running. What the fuck is going on? Is that your action in the you show? Can't run and for the talk first time at the in a hundred hours. <laughs> exactly. There's no run and talk. It's walk and talk. It's interesting this decision though to go to the other side. You know, I'm assuming you know with uh, Darth Vader and the Emperor dead that there's no like who's is that? Do you not have any powers? Any force powers then? Because that's very few Star Wars games, you not you so, never have four towers available. No, that squad doesn't. Yeah, I mean, you, that's quite, probably why they give you these hero missions as Luke well, and Major Oh, oh sorry, power yeah. vacuum is there not? I just mean in, in the single player of this new game. You know, yeah. it's going to be weird not having any force powers. I assume. Yeah. I don't I mean. I mean, I, mean I think they. You know, they know they're making a shooter. Partly, yeah. like yeah, that's yeah. what they are making. So I actually. I really liked the early missions of Jedi Knight when you before didn't have, you, yeah. like, before you become Jedi. I like it when you become Jedi as well, but, like, there's something kind of cool about just having, like, a, this blast pistol and a couple of thermal detonators and having to... Yeah, and you, you really, like, do. pay attention to the actual weapons. And it's like there's loads mm. of variety in the Star Wars universe in terms of mm. the different weapons. And it's actually a shame. I, I, you're so right about, like, oh, my God, so many blasters that just go pew and yeah, don't do yeah. anything especially interesting in, in current Star Wars Battlefront. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, yeah, of course, he's optimistic about it. I think, mm. um, the fact that it's a broader offering helps for one thing, because it means that if you just enjoy one part of it, it doesn't feel like such a loss. Mm. They've, they've been very coy about whether or not it will have the same sort of season pass structure, but it'd be interesting mm. because they didn't do that with Titanfall 2 last year. Um, they did do it with Battlefield. So EA are clearly somewhere in the tailoring the, tailoring the expensive offering to the game seems to be <laughs> where they're going, which yeah. is sensible because, they they full on can kill games by picking the wrong business model for it, mm. and I think Star Wars probably is big enough that the more generous you are, the more people will take from it. You know what I mean? The more people will get into it, and if they can sell cosmetic skins or something, then you know because they're already saying like. So actually, this is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. So you will never see a more welcoming audience for Star Wars than Star Wars Celebration. They, those people will woo for anything, particularly in Star Wars Celebration in America. 
like it was it was a very whoop happy audience sure. it, was, it was an extremely happy or like um and sitting in the huge arena for the reveal of battlefront 2 you get you know the screams like you know they they announce a the game they show the trailer they reveal that darth maul is in it and like not people are screaming people are on their feet cheering there are lightsabers igniting everywhere <laughs> like because that's how people express that they're happy and like um and you know it's a huge huge thing that it's not a crowd that is ever disappointed there's like there were a few moments during the weekend one was when they announced that star wars rebels will end with season four there was a kind of muted like <gasps> and then one was when um right at the end of the movie panel um ryan johnson who's the director said oh we've got one last thing to show you it's an exclusive poster <laughs> and he was he was faking them out because of course there was a trailer but he said there's an exclusive and they all went hooray on exclusive and then actually oh <laughs> almost as one group of like a thousand oh, people it was really sweet <laughs> but you know never never hostile sometimes momentarily disappointed before they come around to it but never like until you could test them you could just be like and now we're going to settle in for our rewatch of the prequel trilogy <laughs> yeah. you get a lot of cheers that's the other thing really? is yes well i mean the reason they're doing it for this new game is because while like my generation of fans loathe those films um and they are objectively bad films a lot of <laughs> and we're right yeah and we're right too a lot of kids came to star wars through those films i like, like the a, third one revenge of the sith I think so. There was a bouncy fight sequence and yes. Yoda was leaping around and I quite I thought that was quite exciting. Yeah. That's in uh, uh, I had had a lot of sugared um <laughs> everything. That's always a sh- oh I assumed you would fight popcorn. <laughs> and it was me and my friends like 8-year-old brother and we were just having the time of our life that's and the way then to- she was just like what, that's the way to watch the prequels while babysitting i found because mm. little kids get something out of them that a sensible adult with taste never will um, oh. <laughs> um <laughs> so what was the other thing that they so, were so it was when they were like and if you pre-order today you'll get some exclusive skins uh, and no. actual booze wow. like a sea of booze <laughs> from a crowd that had only ever been positive <laughs> And that was really interesting. That was what pre-ordering. So if you pre-order, if you pre-order, you get skins for Kylo Ren and Rey based on how they'll look in The Last Jedi rather than Force Awakens. And so, because I know pre-ordering has been going through, you know, various, uh, phases. And I actually, yeah. So it's the latest, even with Star Wars fans that we don't like Like, pre-ordering. Because the the funny thing about it was, there was like, and if you pre-order, you'll get exclusive. And it was just like, oh no, we hate this. And then they flashed up what the, the, the last Jedi Kylo Ren skin is, which is obviously people's first look at what he will look like in that movie outside of the trailer. And there was like an ooh, like almost immediately. Like, oh, I do quite want that though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but the stuff is good. Yeah. <laughs> and so there is, um, Interesting. you know, but nonetheless, it was the only, the only time I've ever seen them be hostile. So maybe EA will hopefully learn from this. Like, wow, if, if the friendliest audience on yeah, planet Earth right. hates this, mm. then maybe it's time yeah, to come up with an idea. It's tough, that stuff, because, you know, I, every now and again, like I saw this um very kind of qualitative, I can't remember what it was. It was a, a video about dlc i mean that's something quite different to pre-ordering i know but um and it was it was just asking random people at a convention what you kind of think about it and some people were like oh boo it should all be in the original game when it's when it's released and there was other people like it's like more game it's awesome we love this stuff we're here at this convention because we love games i mean pre-ordering i guess is it's kind of it's kind of different it's 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 kind of just seen I think as there, there's some kind of business logistical reason why pre-orders are especially important to AAA companies mm-hmm. or like shareholders and stuff um if it was me i would just say i think you avoid all of the negativity if you just say this is if you pre-order or you buy during launch week you get this 
Because then you're yeah, not, so there's you're no not asking people to buy before yeah. reviews are out. You're just saying... Right. Like, it's you know, review thing, we all it? do That's... this. Um, uh, Steam encourages you to do a kind of a launch discount. Sure. And uh, if you're doing pre-orders, then it's also a pre-order discount. Yep. But as long as you extend it to the week that people of launch as well, then it's not a sleazy thing. It's, it's a... It's yeah, it doesn't just, feel like you're kind of like... You're not pressuring to people to buy before. Yeah. Although, just while we're... To just go on the list of suggestions that I have made for Meg Aquarium. Okay. If you make any DLC, it should be D-L-S-E-A. <laughs> Can you spell... Uh, <laughs> you see what I did there? I, I'm, are you going to have to cut out a little bit of that gap? <laughs> if you That's don't okay. mind. Just to make me not I might, look I might stupid. make it longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially if I say that afterwards, which I have now said. But if you don't cut out, it's weird. Anyway, I won't talk about cutting because I'm going to make the audience feel really weird. It's like, ooh, how much did we actually get to hear? <laughs> All of it. I'm very it's been lazy. Five minutes long when it goes out. Man, I'm really slow. I, for the people at home, I, I spelt out C with my finger. <laughs> Like, and then tried like, to look at the word. And then looked in the at air. it in space. That was like, weird. I feel a bit strange now. I'm quite embarrassed. That's okay. I don't think I helped no, at all. You know what? I think I was ready for some real, like, hard hitting, like, business thing. Like, if you do DLC, though, like, make sure you do it like this because oh, yeah, otherwise no, it's not cool. Not and it was just like, no, no, just here's a pun. It was a cheap that I would like you to. <laughs> yeah, I didn't help in any way. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I mean, to, to finish up on, on Battlefront, I would say that I left feeling kind of cautiously excited for it, but I, that should be tempered by the fact that I left that event essentially only wanting to look at Star Wars objects for the rest of my life. Because <laughs> it does refresh my to enjoying be fair, you love. You went in thinking that. Yes, I did. And I, well, no, I mean, it always refreshes my, um, you know, enthusiasm. Sleeping for that refreshes your enthusiasm for stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I get tired. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, it did make me, it gave me all sorts of thoughts about why that, uh, one thing I think it helps me do is justify this whole mad thing <laughs> in my life, which is something I maybe desperately need or don't need. Maybe it's even bad for me <laughs> to, go, to do a 180 on that idea, to be surrounded by people who share that enthusiasm well, and kind of get something I think it's just nice for you not to be surrounded by, for example, a person who will ask you all kinds of questions that you either can't answer or that are stupid. Mm. So, yeah, the sunk true. cost fallacy convention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. There's like a lot of different ways of looking at it. I think there's um. You bought a Star Wars card game just to take with you to Star Wars. Yes, and I got a lot of mileage out of it. You'd be surprised to find out. But you played the ones that they had there. <laughs> and mine. Oh. You play both. Sometimes we were in the hotel. Sometimes we were in the airport. Sometimes we were we were in the press room and we didn't want to go queue. There was a lot of reasons to buy Star Wars things and bring Star Wars things to the Star Wars thing where you bought Star Wars things. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. You know what? Pop culture brings people together and that's nice. Mm. I like that. <laughs> I like me the bad guy. I do love me I some Star Wars. I add, uh, <laughs> turning to my obsession, um, just because someone pointed out, there is a jog and talk scene in the West Wing before the end of season four. <laughs> and I know someone's going to point it out. I just want to make sure everyone knows I know that. <laughs> Getting out ahead of them. <laughs> this is my nerddom. Yeah. No, I've never seen all the West Wing. We could watch it if you'd like. Sure. 
You should um, watch it and also listen to the Western Weekly podcast. Okay. People sometimes this ask us don't, for a podcast Don't try and sell me too much TV at once because I struggle to get through TV. People recommend me mm. as much as it is. Um, I could be watching Star Wars. I've watched all The Good Wife. The Good Wife is very good. You will seem yeah. to enjoy The Good the Wife. The most recent season I kind of tapped out because I was really? like, I can't. I like I can't the dreamy new guy. I, hang on. Don't spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm always watching whatever comes on There's Netflix a dreamy in the UK. Man, <laughs> so I think I'm a season behind. Okay. Okay. Well, my lips are sealed. As when I mean, you are when you are fully up to date, let me know because then we can we can reconvene the Good yes. Wife appreciation slash criticism. That club. would be excellent. The, yeah. the good thing actually about the West Wing Weekly podcast is that it is uh, by fans of the West Wing, including Josh Molina, who's on the West Wing, um, but also it uh, like doesn't go easy on criticism of the West Wing and oh. like when the West Wing is sexist, it points it out. And mm, that's cool. Um, that's that kind of like. It's really cathartic because when you're watching it, you're like, ah, oh, this is so good, but it's so fucking annoying about that one scene. <laughs> and, and when they mention really nice. it, you're like, yes. All you need is to hear some people say, yeah, that was bullshit. There are a few, because we're in the middle of, um, for me, re-watching for the umpteenth time for Chris, the first ever watch through of The X-Files. Mm. And ah. so we're on season seven now, and there have been several moments throughout the course of all of the seasons where I've just been like, Yes, I know about some of the dodgy treatment of, you know, particular cultures or yeah. just, oh God, I'd forgotten. To be fair, all of, <laughs> all of the world's cultures and religions are granted the privilege of a slightly insensitive X-Wing mystery, X-Wing, X-Wing, <laughs> shit. <laughs> I think nothing for you has ever eclipsed the second episode, though, where Mulder just draws tits on a yeti. That is my favourite thing that happens in the X-Files. <laughs> so, essentially, yeah. the twist at the end of the show, they think there's basically a Sasquatch Sorry, killing spoilers, hikers, right? But, oh, I mean, it's but the they, can't, they can't figure out its behaviour until Mulder, who will always come up with the magic solution to the problem right at the end of the episode, twigs that it's a female yeti or a female Sasquatch and that it's protecting its young and or scavenging for its young or something. And that's the that's the twist. However, he figures this out by literally looking at a picture of a yeti and then basically just drawing boobs on it. <laughs> and that's my favorite. It might be my favorite thing in television. <laughs> but like, so it's mildly serious. So it's, or it's like, oh yeah, it's not, it's not completely like, serious. It is, like, yeah. I've solved the puzzle. Yeah. I'm drawing boobs in front of the, for the people at home. Yeah. I'm doing more finger drawing. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently really, I'm a visual kind of person, apparently. <laughs> it, that's my favorite episode of the X-Wings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the X Wing would be the cross between the X Files and the West Wing. So uh, that's why. Oh, <laughs> oh, and you did really like the virtual reality one. The virtual reality the one day. is, honest to God, terrible. Yeah, it's, it's so bad. It's really bad. It's but, a good idea. So good. But, but yes, also. You need to amazing. go back and watch every program that has virtual reality in yeah. now, yeah. and it would just be like, oh, this episode, is what Murder She Wrote would be um, like. Oh, yeah. Murder She Wrote. But also, Space Precinct has, like, VR in it. And so I spent part of my uh, week last week just making GIFs so that we can use them when we write about VR. That's <laughs> amazing. The future is just. <laughs> I have a stockpile. <laughs> Anytime you can uh, get around using like the three photos of people wearing VR headsets that are out there. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Alice is a big fan of Scully in VR. <laughs> <laughs> that episode is so fucking stupid. I guess we remembered it again. I only saw it last week. Uh, but yeah. So I just realized there is something else I've been playing. Um, and I want to, you know, I was, the reason it didn't occur to me is because I'm not sure about the, you know, I mean, Tommy, you'll know how to do this because you work on games. But like, the yeah, I just of- talk about it shamelessly. I don't even <laughs> have any okay. kind of disclosure. <laughs> we talked about my game for a 
about okay. 20 minutes. Fair enough. So uh, I'm working on a game now, um, which I've also been playing a bunch of because I I now work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a necessary component of understanding what the fuck you're doing. So um, this has been in the pipes for a little while. But um, as of last week, I'm now working um, a lot on Hack Mud, which is um, been out since last September. It's uh, Sean Goobelman's uh, text-based hacking MMO. It's a mud. And you hack in it. Hack mud. Mud being multi-user dungeon. Yeah. Um, and so um, I am doing, I guess, all of the writing for it now and a bunch of design um, awesome. for uh, puzzles and things. It's a it's a hacking MMO where uh, but it begins with a pretty substantial, probably three to six hour single player component that will teach you about... Um, hacking by writing scripts it's a programming game essentially you'll you'll learn to program it is about the logic of programming and fundamentally about you know intuiting language and and relatively realistic hacking by video game standards it's not do play a game of pipe dream to access a computer system it's figure out what someone's password might be through intelligent reading of dialogue and that's a you know that's a simple thing but beyond that it might be um cracking a qr code and things like that using mm. your actual phone and that kind of thing and i haven't played it yet but uh, i talked to sean about it and he he said it's just javascript like the language you're writing <laughs> pretty much yeah it's javascript yeah you you eventually so you you play the single player thing which teaches you a lot of the game's um vocabulary uh which um i mean i really enjoyed so before i was working on the game i played through that and i genuinely enjoyed it um then when you leave that it sort of deposits you in what is then the mmo which is the, the multiplayer aspect of it and functionally, the the you know the, the mechanics of the game are, are to go out into the world and hack. Uh, it's so it's set in a in, on the internet, obviously, but in a future <laughs> where all the humans have vanished. Um, and why and how is is that ambiguous? And that's some of the world building work that I'll be doing and, and that kind of thing. But you know, the internet is gone. But the internet, is, sorry, the, the humans are gone. But the internet is populated by AI and consciousnesses. <laughs> There are in some cases just AI that exist, and in some cases the sort of the remaining consciousnesses of the Internet of Things, so trains that have <laughs> intelligence and that yeah. kind of thing, and they're hanging out now in this space. And so there are there are a million. So the fiction goes, you know, corporations and things out there who have user accounts that are just left over, and those user accounts still have resources in them. Mm. And so the kind of the PVE, the going out and killing monsters equivalent, if it was an MMO, is to go out and find a corporation that hasn't been hacked yet. Because uh, none of this stuff is instanced. It refreshes after a certain interval. You crack into an account and get some money that you can use to add new stuff to your account, buy new scripts and things you can run. Um, however, it is, because it's a programming game, it has very deep internal logic. You can also write your own JavaScript and upload it as programs that you can then sell to other players. So the basic unit of things is that you might, you know, if you were, you know, it's not interesting how this is shaken out, but you might write a script that will hack, will scan for and hack accounts for other players and give them 90% of the money, but take 10% of the person who wrote the script. Um, and that's how they make money then. And that's how the kind of the economy works. It's sort of Eve like in its complexity. It's also Eve like in its difficulty curve, which mm. is one of the things that I'm working on, hopefully. Um, or at least in terms of trying to soften that a little bit, uh, without taking away from the complexity of the game, but also, um, all that logic also applies to players. So if you, um, if you run a script that isn't secure, it might say it does one thing, but there's no reason to know that. <laughs> and it might just dump all your money or dump all your money into someone else's account. Or Yeah, so Sean was saying it has like security zones the same way Eve does, where like yeah. security 1.0, you can 
run scripts where what they can do to other players is basically send them a message and like send text mm, to them yeah and then uh, i can't remember what the rating was but the next security it's, level it's down full sec down to low null sec okay so. and then the next one down you can edit players money which to me seems like that would be zero second like <laughs> that's the worst it can get it's like yeah, you can no. just take money from True them null and give money horrible. to them and then the next one down is like oh, you can change their the characters skills and like they're hardwired like Whoa. just delete them or replace them or give them Jeez. new things and then zero is you can just crash their game <laughs> yeah you just make it not work anymore and it's, it's pretty brutal but the way you can get around this is is there's a um there's a way to look at which scripts are though there is a certain set of scripts that are always going to work and they're called the trust scripts because they're run by an ai called trust which is one of the kind of major the major npc in the game sure. really definitely going to turn out to be a traitor um <laughs> <laughs> And um, one of them is is called um, sort of like it allows you to check the security level of any script, and it is always right. Hmm. So if you type in, like, if you run the command to get the security level of a particular script, whether that's player made or generated by the game, it will tell you what security level it is. And that is also imp- not impossible to fake, but you can't do certain things and have your uh, yeah, script appear to be mm-hmm. high security. Yeah. So, but so players f- have to find. If they want to fuck people over, they have to find very creative ways to trick someone into running a script without looking at the, <laughs> um, without looking at the security level. Mm. And often, if you just give someone a script, the first thing, and so you know, the, the first advice you should give to a newcomer is always, always check, <laughs> always check. But I've been got by it like a couple of times now, <laughs> and it you know I lost all my money a couple of times, lost all my upgrades a couple of times, and Jeez. the ways it happens is like someone has created a fake corporation that looks exactly like the corporations that the NPCs generate. It's the wording <laughs> is the same. They've borrowed loads of the vocabulary. They've done loads of stuff, and when you hack those systems, it will spit out a list of accounts that might be lootable if you can get into them. This, and those are randomly generated, this spits out a fixed list of accounts, and one of them happens to be this trap script. And because you're used to entering those account names in a different context, you don't realize that what you're running is a script that I think doesn't just take away all your money, it also broadcasts your lock, which is your like actual account location, which allows you to then be hacked directly rather than have to run a script to do it. <laughs> so it's genius, but it's also fucking evil. So yeah, so that's that's what I'm working now. But like, so wow, like I, I know. I was so judgy when you told me that you'd been caught out by this. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really... genuinely disappointed. In well, I was really sad because I was like, oh no, someone's picking on you. And then you explained how it had happened, and then it instantly flipped into, how could you be so careless? <laughs> yeah, some of them are really simple. Like you'll get something that's just like it'll be called something like uh, so the NPC accounts come in tiers, and it'd be like free tier one hack dot xe or whatever you know functionally mm. and you run that and you go sorry this version's out of date run free tier one hack and so if you run check level on that it'll be like oh this is the highest level it just sends you a message and then it's just the message is oh this one's out of date run this one yeah. and then if you don't That's, check the second one yeah, that's the yeah, one that gets yeah, you yeah, like yeah. and uh, there you know i think there are things that sean would like to do to, to make the game about the game is about multiple things other than that there is there's is a lot of fiction hidden away in the game there are a lot of things you can find and there'll be more. And there is more now, in fact, that people haven't found yet, because uh, I've written it and hidden it. But um, <laughs> like um, the, um, it's a lot about you know my job on this game is is a lot about 
sort of like digging people's gardens up at night and hiding things in it and burying <laughs> it and hoping they find it at some point in the future. Like a JavaScript Easter bunny. Yes. <laughs> Actually, yeah, Love a lot. That. Yeah. Mm. Um, so how, um, how much creative power do normal players have? Can they create their own um, areas and... Functionally, yeah. So it's an entirely a text-based game, right? Sure. So, you know, but you can you can create anything you can create with ASCII art, functionally. So someone, okay. I mean, a, car- a player, one of the most prominent players has created something called Haunty Mall, mm-hmm. um, which is a game about picking three doors in a mall, and it's all represented with ASCII sort of like, you know, adventure mm-hmm. art. And you run the script to pick a door, and if you and it's randomly generated, and if you pick the right door and it doesn't have a ghost behind it, he will wire you one and a half million credits. <laughs> and this is genuine, and that is just completely created by the community. Yeah. But that is then something that people get sent as like, if you want some money day one and you're struggling, just try this a few times. You get locked out of it. You can only play it once a day, yeah. but every now and then you might get windfall that you'll then lose the next time you get duped by someone else. <laughs> so I, so I think I misunderstood a little bit. So, cause I'm used to kind of like, um, fantasy mud type things and you're kind of traipsing for a dungeon or whatever. Yeah. But this, I guess everything can internet. be done with a script, right? Yeah. If I got this right. So like when there you'd have like, you know, make an area. So it's like move north to go to this area. I guess you can actually just fake it with a script. Like, is that right? Have I got my so, head around so this? So you, your, your interaction with the game is you have a computer term. Yeah, and you are just on the internet. Yes, in this, and so you know the um, you can run scripts and get access to accounts that might be you navigate in a particular way. So the the example would be you'd run the script to access a company, and that might. But what give, does it actually look like on the screen? Is it like a DOS prompt? Yeah, or? like a big DOS prompt on the left, and then you've got panels on the right that add to have some other things, including your chat channel. Sure. Even sending a chat message is a script command. Mm. You specify whether everything is done with essentially a two part sort of script format and then in curly brackets a set of variables yeah so if you are sending a private message to a another player it's like chat dot send curly brackets user equals this person message mm-hmm, equals mm-hmm. this person close curly brackets yeah, yeah. if you are interacting with the corporate account it's corporate dot you know reception curly brackets user equals this password equals that and then it might tell you wrong password but give you some information that tells you what the password might be or gives you some way to get it um which might it's good security. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's very you know it's it's pretty low security in terms of um, realistic hack. It, it's sort of realistic to the extent that it's you're not playing Pipe Dream, which is probably yeah. my go-to example. Yeah. Um, but like there is a there is a logic to they are puzzles at the end of the day, the hacking puzzles. So you might be given a limited amount of time to um, brute force a password, which is going to be three different colors. And you know there's a limited list of colors and there's three things it can be. And so you have to kind of try brute force them within the time limit, which also makes it sort of a typing challenge as well. But you, Can you, you write a script to kind of just, you know, yep. input them in all different... Yeah, yep. wow. That's <laughs> that's the, and then you can sell that to the players. Yeah. Yeah. That's script. the idea. Cool. So, I think it's very cool. So I, you, have you guys played up, Uplink? Yes. Introversions yeah. Uplink ages ago, right? Mm. And I love that game. I love the theme of it. And I love so much of the world, but the actual... It's, it, you know you don't get to do any of the the script writing and that was always what like disappointed mm. me um so you buy a brute force password cracker but you don't write the cracker you just buy that and then you put it into practice and i i always loved the idea like i wish i could go in and like make something more efficient by like tweaking it you know and this sounds like the closest thing to like a real hacking game yeah. apart from real hacking which you know <laughs> we don't really want to do because no. it's <laughs> kind of bad right yeah yeah i was asking Sean like so like presumably 
uh, I was like, can you get another user's password? And uh, he was saying, no, like uses Steam for the authentication. And none of that stuff, like he says, just can't put anything on his server because literally everything he puts on his server, anyone can access. (laughs) There's no actual security, you know, because it's literally a game about hacking and doesn't stop you from accessing anything. So I think approaching it like as a as a critic, because I mean, it's been out for a while. It's been out since September, has an active player base, Mm -hmm. uh, which has been really nice for me because it means that stuff that... Mm. Um, you know, so a lot of the yeah, it's quite unusual to sort of come on as a writer like after the game is out. Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of like a perfect gig in some ways because <laughs> I mean, I'm really, really grateful to to Sean for taking me on to this because it's been really cool. But um, so some of the stuff I'm doing is like some bigger stuff that's coming further down the road. But the other stuff is like, um, if someone's written a, a script, for example, to brute force a particular keyword, they probably rely on the fact that uh, there is a limited list of things the game draws on when it's generating those puzzles. Mm. Um, so some of the work that I'm doing is just expanding all of those lists because then it immediately creates hashtag content yeah. for all of <laughs> yeah, the people. Sure. Who, so everyone, everyone who's still an active player has to interrupt, has to then, um, update their crackers and things to account for all the new information that's in the system. Um, everyone who's not, their stuff stops working as well, which is a way to, cause if, play, if someone creates a script that hacks all accounts of a tier, a certain tier yeah. and then leaves the game. Uh, that money that they're getting when anyone runs that, if that's the way it works, mm. is just going into basically a dead account, yeah. which could be hacked, which would be really interesting. Because <laughs> yeah. if you get that, that could be potentially one of the most valuable accounts in the game mm. to get. But it's tricky, right? Yeah. But then that software starts to become obsolete because it's not accounting for the information. So part of it is just feeding new stuff into the Maybe game. Maybe someone's made a really popular script, you want to harass them until they <laughs> hate the game enough to leave. <laughs> so that you can Life then... hacks, they call that. <laughs> can you be hacked? passively so is the only way to hack another player by getting them to like to no. tricking them or if, can if what's you the password like so on someone's you, own money so if you um there are two things you would need if you you have to have spent enough money to upgrade your account to a certain level where you can be hacked which is almost like a way of it's almost like you okay. have to have leveled up enough to do pvp is basically yeah, the way to think about you. it yeah. but also that that person doesn't can't, can't do it with just your username they need what's called your lock which is like a randomly generated uh, string that goes after your username. However, one of those things, one of those low security things that a bad script can do to you is make you broadcast your lock. So you can add, you know, a, like you could add a, a bad script that makes you DM the person who tricked you with your actual lock, which then gives, which then they could sell or they can do the shitty thing and make you publish it to the chat channel in the game, yeah, the main yeah. chat channel. And everyone <laughs> then everyone's joins. got it. Yeah. Can you refresh and like get a new lock and, that's it. So that's it. <laughs> Everyone well, can get their can money forever. Because you can have multiple accounts. Right. Sure, sure, And this sure. is one of the game's <laughs> mad logic things is there can be do, multiple use. Yes. Okay. And that's one of the ways to trick people as well, right? You can be do multiple people. Do you have to people. like buy okay. the game again to have a new account? No. Um, it's oh, part okay. of your, it's tied to your account. So hmm. um, you, when you start the game, you have access to two. You can make two users. Yeah. It's 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 a really interesting thing. Like it's, it's I think it's super hardcore. So what I'd say about it, like, I approached it initially as a critic when I was, you know, interested in it. And I'd known Sean for a while, but... Um, um, I think what he's done with the single player portion of the game that teaches you its systems is very good. It's it's hard, but it gives you your own t- you got time to get through it. And by the time you leave it, you will understand how to do a little bit of programming and how the scripts work and things like that. You also fundamentally know by that point if the game is for you or not. Yeah. Um, there is a big, um, a pretty big difficulty spike when it comes into sort of making money and finding your way in the in the single player. It's something that I'm interested in in getting involved in trying to ease, like because I think obviously the the I think, you know, Shaw's made a super interesting game. And the reason it's super interesting is because um, it's got this potential depth and there's this real risk involved in things. But I'm interested in finding new ways for people to get into that, basically. For people to learn what they can do in ways that aren't just 
um try a bunch of things get get conned a bunch of times and <laughs> sure. maybe you know maybe mm. fall out with it so that that's the sort of the direction of, yes, of my yeah. work on it but yeah so yeah it's a really interesting thing um it's really, been really cool to don't make it so that he stops making the fish game no I, no <laughs> like... P- P- been looking increasingly concerned as tim's been looking increasingly interested, interested. <laughs> i just haven't, selling I haven't it. made a game about ha- like programming like a game where we're, my, my skills as a programmer could be useful what this uh, is why there are so many games that are like about programming not so much in this style but like the sort of like teaching you programming type ones or um all of zachtronics stuff is all like very uh programming oriented it's because everyone who's making games <laughs> is a programmer program. like, what if this oh, was i know fun. what interests me <laughs> yeah yeah and therefore must interest everybody else <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean it's one of those things where like it's weird because i've never been in a situation before where i can't say like overall get it or whatever because, <laughs> you know sure. literally i'm working on now um you know i think but i think it's 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 super interesting i know that sean's got plans for it so you know that's what i'm doing now Mm. should we do questions from questions that's not how i told you to say it pip <laughs> well yes but then you Didn't delegated you like so if you'd wanted it done your way you should have done it very well <laughs> we'll go with this then would you like to pull some questions from the question sack which might be full of bees that's also not how i asked you to say it but <laughs> i appreciate the extra effort you put in this way around so let's go with it an oh, antagonistic no, start to questions <laughs> <laughs> sucks to be you <laughs> sucks to be you <laughs> questions and killed a bee <laughs> Another smooth beginning from questions from questions. Um, if you will be a jerk. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're not, but let's do a question. Okay. So this first question is, is is genuinely sad. Like, there's no jokes about this. This is a genuinely sad thing, but I think leading to a worthy question. Um, it's been sent to us by James, who writes, uh, Hello, Super Crate Box and Crow Crow Crow's Bar. <laughs> uh, in brackets forgive me i tried but that's a that's good pretty good mm. yeah yeah that's good one's a, game, one's a developer yep first of all thank you guys for the wonderful entertainment you provide the pod helps me get through most of my work day as a student and prospective maker of games you're all a big inspiration to me that's very kind to say um and then he goes on to say my 19 year old dog sally just died it was very sudden and unexpected even considering her great age she was in remarkably good health she drowned in the backyard pool of my parents' house while out to go potty one night. The fact that I literally saw her the day before while visiting for Easter and the knowledge that she had such a terrifying, painful death made the shock and hurt even worse. I'm only 21 years old, so I don't really have any memories of life without her in it. And now finding interactive activities that require much thought and presence on my part are hard to enjoy, and I've been settling for TV shows. However, most of the shows I watch are ones that I wait to view at my girlfriend rather than watching alone. Without games, there's a lot of time for idle and painful thoughts. Have any of you ever had similar experiences that led to reco- struggle with games? Are there any games you associate with the recovery process or grieving that have made you feel better? Any recommendations, particularly preferably non-prominently featuring dogs? Thanks so much, James. So, I mean, obviously, this is—I think the the line here is that, like, you know, James is full on grieving. Like, grief is its own thing. I think games can help in some ways, but I also get what he's saying about being grieving too much to really commit to a a difficult interactive process yeah the, the older i get the more i appreciate games as just a way to just not be in your life for a while like mm. it's just that there are so many times from the really trivial to the really serious where you just want to be somewhere else and uh you know i've used them just to get through like a brief period of illness or like uh, being in pain for a while and 
the the thing that it all hinges on, I think, is his thing about that um, he's finding games that require too much of his brain are not working for him. So I don't know how extreme that condition is. For me, uh, last time I was really, really ill, I played Wolfenstein New Order, which is optionally a stealth game. And I played it as a stealth game and I found any kind of stealth game really worked for me because it completely consumed my brain i I didn't have room to think about anything else because it's tense like you're just all the time even when nothing's happening you're tense you're worrying about like Mm. stuff and so i don't know if that would be too much for him i also found uh dragon age inquisition got me through like a a really really bad hangover which is (laughs) trivial compared to this but uh it that i felt was more low engagement like that wasn't i wasn't tense all the time it was actually kind of relaxing Mm. and didn't really require that much of me there's narrative stuff going on that is complex but you don't have to worry about it and you can just sit there and kind of like coast through a bunch of side quests and it's it's addictive it's compelling and it will will hopefully occupy you yeah i'd say that there are two sides this for me because like I, I I relate to the experience of being sad for one reason or another and not really clicking with games for that time. Um, I think the two things I would suggest, one is, um, you know, we've talked about plenty of times in this podcast, but um, sort of grand strategy games and 4X games, games that, you know, Sid Meier would describe as a series of interesting decisions, really, hmm. like make a decision on a turn, do the next thing. Um, I always think they're, they're a good fit for this kind of, because sometimes all you need to do is sort of pass time while you feel better while whatever it is heals and they're an amazing way of passing time mm. you know and, and they require input and they require thought but they don't require you don't have to be on your best day you don't have to be having your best reactions or making the best decisions straight away you just need to make some decisions and then sort of play for the consequences of them so for me that sort of at the moment when i dip into the games like that it tends to be either total war warhammer or stellaris um both of which might be a decent fit for something like this um the other side to it is that I think uh, social like play, you know, playing with other people can be helpful just to kind of get you out of your own head and kind of encourage you to do other things. And so this might be a good time to look into MMOs. Like obviously if you're a student and you've got limited time, then that's maybe not a, a perfect thing. But, um, you know, your average, you know, fantasy dungeon crawlery kind of MMO game is going to be relatively low engagement to the point of being maybe a little bit grindy, a little bit Dragon Age Inquisition. I mean, the criticism that was thrown at that game was that it was too much like an MMO, Hmm. you know, sort of go off and do some things in the open world and maybe interact with some other people. If you have friends that play an MMO, join them, that kind of thing. Because also being around other people, even if you're not talking about the things that are bothering you, is healthy. So those would be my suggestions. I don't know if anyone else has anything. I mean, I'll just add one more to that and... um... So I like JRPGs or like Final Fantasy um, in specifically, just because those, um, especially the Final Fantasy games are just the later ones are so linear that you're kind of just on a story. It's you. You mentioned that you um, you kind of watching more TV than playing games at the moment, and so those sort of games which are just like an interactive story, and especially JRPGs which are just sometimes just keep pressing a you know <laughs> to progress um and actually yeah those those i think can be kind of really relaxing and um uh yeah a good one for this sort of time well i hope everything gets better soon basically because that's you know i know what it, it's like i know what it's like to lose a childhood pet and yeah um i was just gonna say maybe some more casual games mm-hmm. um like maybe even mobile games um but i don't know how good a piece of advice that is because it can 
they're the kind of games where you get to have that null space and it doesn't ask much of you and you can maybe pass time with them and it gives you something to do but it can also become a really unhealthy thing and I don't know how much I'm willing to unguardedly recommend Hmm. that stuff because it's stuff that I mean obviously grieving and depression are very different but I uh, ongoing battle with depression which is all kinds of fun and games but um the things that I've used in a kind of entertainment self-medication way have hindered as much as they've helped so things Mm. like dots or things like candy crush have been valuable but then have maybe tipped over into obsessive time passing that isn't helpful or getting really into dota was really good because it meant that i had friends on skype that i didn't necessarily need to talk to because they would talk to each other to organize strategies or whatever but at the same time i found after a while that it was it was fake socializing like i wasn't interacting Mm. i was just sort of eavesdropping and it uh, it wasn't helping so i I don't really know where I'm going with that, but just as a kind of maybe keep an eye on it and and look into things, maybe just some online help sheets, something on, I don't know, like I think the NHS might have something, Samaritans might have something that will point you in directions of things that might be helpful if you if you notice that it's not just that you need time to heal from a thing, it's that it's actually, it, it, it isn't as not straightforward but you know what i mean yeah like, yeah you maybe need to reach out a bit more or yeah for sure and i guess it is worth pointing out that games aren't necessarily the solution mm. but in any case i do hope that games feels better soon mm. moving on to the next question uh peter writes if you could lift one idea or mechanic from breath of the wild into the next open world pc game you play uh what would it be uh, so this will be a relatively quick one because I think I'm the new person who played a lot of Breath of the Wild. Um, and that game's amazing. As I keep hinting at, I'd really like to do a standalone podcast on it. Um, something that I would pull out that I, I did talk about in the article I wrote about the game for Eurogamer, but is I love the way it's, it takes the issue of an open world game's manageability and solves it, but without devolving into a kind of Ubisoft-style mini-map full of icons in the way that most open worlds do. So most open world games make themselves accessible to you by saying, go here and you will learn everything there is to do in an area, and we'll break those down into activity types that will each have their own icon. Far Cry is a good example. Assassin's Creed is an example of this. Here is an outpost. Here is a tower. Here is this thing to conquer. Here is a hunting challenge, whatever it is. I think this has the effect of making a a big world feel both incredibly busy and incredibly small because it is ultimately comprised of repetitive tasks. And by the Mm. time you've done one of each of them, you've played the entire game, just not in terms of quality, not in terms of quantity. Um, One thing Breath of the Wild does really, really well is it has towers that you can climb and climbing each tower is a challenge, but each one is useful to you for two reasons. One, it's a teleport point, so it allows you to fast travel to somewhere, which is just a basic good and so we'll probably come back to you later in this episode. Um, the other is that it's a literal vantage point. It's useful because it's very high up and you have you have a telescope. And a lot of, like, that game basically silently communicates everything that's going to be interesting to you. It doesn't have minimap icons for things. It lets you set your own waypoints, which are all colored, and then appear in the world as like a kind of colored beam of light from the sky. But 
They can be on anything. And the way the world is designed, each of those towers gives you sight lines to stuff that you will want to investigate. And it's not as, it's not as like, it's not as digital as like, here is an icon that says a boss is here. You'll be looking at from one tower and you will see something like move in the mist in the distance. And then it'll move again and you'll realize it's a massive, like bigger than you can kind of imagine based on what you've seen so far, creature kind of walking around in the desert kilometers from where you are. And that's what makes you go on and want to go and explore that area. And on the way to trying to find that, you discover that there are things you need to be able to navigate that environment. Um, and the whole thing retains a sense of actual discovery. You feel like you found it in some cases, maybe by accident. Mm. And then there are simple, more digital versions of that. Like um, you have... Uh, shrines which is super important because each shrine is a puzzle and the puzzles are amazing and the use of controls in really interesting ways and they're all completely different but they're a standard element like the entrance to a shrine is a standard element it's just what's in the shrine that's different and you want to do them because that's how you upgrade your health bar and your stamina bar and stuff but each shrine is a cave that is lit up with like orange runes around its entryway when you haven't done it yet and those runes turn blue when you've solved it and that means that from a vantage point like a mountaintop or a tower a scan of the environment, those orange lights will 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 jump out at you, mm. and then you can place your waypoints on them if that's what you want to focus on. Or if you see a town, you can choose that instead. But at no point does it tell you definitively these are all of the things in this mm. area for you to do. It just lets you see them and place your own objectives. And that game is so much about setting your own priority and having that respected um, that that works. I mean, the reason the reason that it's so impressive as a game, I think, is because unlike the vast majority of open world games there is something everywhere and there is an astonishing amount of stuff in that game and most of it is bespoke most of it is made by a designer who Mm. has placed some secret or some new mechanic you've never seen before or some mini game or something Mm. somewhere and so you are reliably rewarded for just going in a direction and seeing what you find or or looking up from a mountaintop and thinking, that looks like a hedge maze over there. I'm going to see what that is. And it turns out it is. And there's an NPC there and they can tell you something and, and that will lead you to a reward. And that is amazing. And it takes a level of investment that the vast majority of open world game makers don't mm. make because at some point they go, this is with the bit we template out. Yeah. It's totally. amazing. Oh. Yes. <laughs> it is amazing. <laughs> Um, does the person at the center just say like don't stand in a maze <laughs> it sucks <laughs> it's really hard to find your way out sometimes it's genuinely funny tells her as well genuinely funny um like uh but yeah so i don't want to get into like so i, I suppose like, my one thing i wish they would take can't be make an amazing game but i would i'd specifically <laughs> make like a maze though yeah i'd specifically like more developers <laughs> to have to trust the player to find their own yeah. fun and yeah. rather than create a to-do list like breath of the wild is the first open world game i've played where at no point have i felt like i had a to-do list it's very confident design uh, yeah. by the developers i'm like yeah i really admire that i've not i've not uh, had a chance to play it yet i need to i need to buy a switch <laughs> they're really good <laughs> um i'm really impressed with ours i can i forget that it's a, t- a handheld mm. i remember being on a press trip a little while ago and and having a lot of hours to kill in an afternoon and my friend pulling out a switch from his bag and pl- continuing to play Zelda, and I'd completely forgotten you could do that. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, we probably shouldn't yeah, talk yeah. about. But anyway, I, w- I would lo- I'd love to do a podcast <laughs> on that game because I genuinely think it's. I would be amazed if there was a better game this year, but um, like, yeah, nonetheless, heat signature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by all means, if you want to add the ability to strap a little squiddle balloon 
to a log and float it over. Oh, that's already in there. <laughs> you, more than anything else, you should play Breath of the Wild because it is probably the only Nintendo game that's had Tom Francis written all over it that I've seen. <laughs> Funny enough, it'll probably be my reward when Heating Rivers is out mm, instead right. of via Switch. And... That's probably the way around to if do it. If it does well. <laughs> <laughs> so next is John Roberts, but not that John Roberts. Or that John, or that Roberts, <laughs> who writes... If you could choose one group of things, for example, car parks, churches, bathrooms, etc., as your fast travel points in real life, what would they be? Coffee shops. <laughs> because yeah, Starbucks. I'm lazy. <laughs> um, it would be the office that my friend works at because I go down most weeks and play Netrunner there. And it's nice. One of the main things I leave the house for. Shit. Yeah, because <laughs> I work so from if home. You could, if you could choose, because I guess we're choosing a type of place. Oh right. Okay. So, you know what I mean? Like, as yeah, you, yeah. you can put it in one location. If there's only one of those, you can't go anywhere. Yeah, for yeah. It. I suppose it depends how much you want to sort of encourage yourself to explore as well, which is interesting because, you know, you could pick something which is essentially designed around that, for example, bus stops, because that's, you know, like yeah. a, a thing that is paced around where people might want to stop, but, you know, with enough space between them that it's not a problem mm. for for actually you know just bespokeness of you know the journey and whatever i would like but... to pick water features nice. <laughs> so that everywhere i go is kind of pretty <laughs> i mean i could just go kettles and then that would be literally <laughs> anywhere in the oh, yeah. uk but yeah. not Isn't anywhere in america could, <laughs> people could fast tra- yeah people could fast travel to your kitchen though that'd be kind of scary that's true. Isn't that kind of how it works in harry potter me? Or is it for them as well? It says your, so okay. I assume it's just for you. I'm kind of... <laughs> did he suggest... <laughs> In Harry Potter... Or she, I can't remember who it was. Hate. Suggest, like, toilets. Did yeah. I read that Toilets right? is a really that's, good one. But that's There's a lot of them. But I don't want to appear in a toilet, <laughs> like, in a public toilet, in, like, a pub or something. Well, it's being like, used. People around, you know. Well, yeah, Can you preview the location? Cubicle, cubicles, empty cubicles with, like, yeah, and, like, it blocks you until, like, it's vacant. <laughs> would be okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, to- yeah, toilets are a good one. I think, because uh, I think mine would probably be in- independent tabletop game shops would be a good one for me, because <laughs> the only thing in real life that's made me regret that I... your bank account. Well, we ne- let's not start worrying about that now. <laughs> um, the the only... The vaults and banks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That'd be that, really bad, no because you could get out. You'd be out. rich beyond the wildest You'd be like that guy in Dishonored 2 at the start. If one, if one of these vaults has a shop in it, We'll buy everything in that. <laughs> <laughs> that shopkeeper would be like, yes, at last. For God's sake, you would think this would be a prime he location. Sh- he shops in a vault. He already has all the money. Yeah. <laughs> he needs something to ride. It's a money take, shop. Take yeah, money. That is so video games. Where like yeah. a, a person who's like, oh, I desperately need lithium. And there's a pile of lithium in front of them. Like, yeah, I'll pick yeah. up this lithium and sell it to you then. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would go with that simply because... The only thing in life that has made me regret that I don't drive has been the need to transport tiny plastic people and spaceships well, to if places. We're going, mm. If we're going to do that, I mean, Aquarium National should... Trust, <laughs> no, National Trust properties and, you know, National Parks would be yeah. fine because they tend to mm. be a bit of a pain to get to without a car. Yeah. So, you know, it's like to, for example, get to, I don't know, like the Mendips or something, which is actually quite near us. It's, you know, you have to get like four million buses and then walk. And you're like, well, I mean, okay. <laughs> this wouldn't be that useful, but uh, just thematically, it would be cool if it was the triangulation points at the top of hills. 
Those, those, I think those might be fast travel tokens for somebody. <laughs> like, not me, but somebody can use those. They just like touch <laughs> yeah. one and they can go to any other. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know those Because they have, the, the bits well, I mean, they have clearly. line of sight to each other, so. Mm. Youth hostels might be a good one. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm not a youth anymore. No. <laughs> they chased you in. out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anywhere I want to go to, but that's probably not a useful. <laughs> I don't, no. It's not a, I don't think that's a, an allowed, a valid category. No. In that case, yeah, I'm just going to go with like that whole kind of very <laughs> me, very middle class, possibly hosting a fate kind of location <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can teleport between any waitrose on the planet oh, <laughs> yeah, God. yeah any village fate i'd be happy okay it's got a tombola i'm in <laughs> wherever there's a raffle yeah <laughs> Kip <may> be summoned. <laughs> hook a duck beg your pardon <laughs> <laughs> Does no one else know You grew up in a small village, Pip, that's all. <laughs> you don't know what hooker duck is? No. Really? No, are, are you hearing the other sense of it? Are you guys trolling me? Yeah. Like, it's those, they're those yellow... I, I can imagine what it is in the sense that you mean it. And you uh, have, like, a, a stick with a hook on them, and they've all got, like, a little curtain ring kind of jammed <laughs> yeah, in no, their no, head. No, 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 it's cool. And then, and then if you pick the right one underneath, it's got a thing and you get a prize. That's pretty you know, sweet. Hook a duck. In any sufficiently large city, you go to a local pond, you'll find a hook a duck. <laughs> is this, does that sound like a sex thing? Is that why you're laughing? Yes. <laughs> it sounds like we're laughing. <laughs> but what would happen? Is there, like, <laughs> it's a duck hooker, Bill. It's a hooker, but oh! a duck. <laughs> Bill, no. I immediately understood what you did mean, but the other meaning You just kept saying hooker duck. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> what most people think. Don't worry, Chris will just make the gap when I was getting the DLC joke, like 20 seconds. <laughs> I will look more stupid, so it'll be, it'll be fine. Oh. Can we move on? <laughs> this is like when you found out what Netflix and chill was. <laughs> <laughs> Having used it wrong several oh, times. God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna go home to Netflix and chill I on my own. I don't think you like do that. Masturbation. I really I do. I think it probably did. You know, I think tonight yeah. I just want to hook a duck and chill. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh God! <laughs> we have the most unusable podcast titles sometimes. <laughs> Justin writes Dear crutches and calipers I've always enjoyed non-standard health mechanics or the framing of health mechanics in unique ways for example the Brothers in Arms Hell's Highway attempt to portray a more realistic I use this term loosely a system in which you're exposed to enemy fire the screen turns more and more red without any bullets actually hitting you instead of absorbing bullets as in a typical shooter this represents your character running out of luck and inevitably ending up with a hole where a hole shouldn't be. Once behind cover, your luck regenerates. This is, of course, a regenerating health mechanic, but it's flavoured to match the setting in a way that seems more natural than shoving a superhuman with regenerative capabilities into the same situation. Do you have any other examples of unique takes on health mechanics? It doesn't sound like 
that's what's happening. Could you not just pretend that it's a luck mechanic for everything else where you get shot at and it turns <laughs> yeah. red? I mean, I, it was like pretending Gears like, of War. There was just too much jam. Is that a thing that is explicitly said in the game? Well, I suppose your character is being physically hit by bullets. Which there is, is... But, I mean, you don't in see Brothers that and Arms, there is. red. So. I don't 100% know if it's the, exactly what it's talking about, but there is like a suppression mechanic and when bullets go near you, it's like... And when bullets go near enemies, it suppresses them and they can't fire back. Okay. And so that's the same thing. My answer, and I apologize that it's not a PC game, is Horizon Zero Dawn, where you have a health bar and a medicine bar. And the medicine bar is, is filled by picking medicinal plants. There's no crafting for this part of it. You just literally pick the plant and it just fills that bar. And at any time, you can press a button to refill your health bar from the medicine bar. And so at first, I was like, isn't this just a health bar? But then the interesting thing is that your health bar never regenerates otherwise. Like, that's the only way that you heal yourself is just by using a medicine bar. And the only way you fill a medicine bar is by picking these plants. And I don't think you can even buy them anywhere. So you literally just have to kind of live off the land. Like, anytime the way it ends up working is that anytime you're in a big fight and you lose a lot of health, uh, your actual health reserve is pretty big if you keep healing from your medicine reserve. But at the end of it, now you've got no medicine left. And particularly if you upgrade that capacity, it can be like three whole bars of, of medicine. And the difference between having all that stocked and having none of that stocked is huge. And if you finish a fight with none of that stocked, you're just going to spend a long time just like roaming the land, picking plants, and just trying to stay out of fights. Yeah. And it gives this really nice like pacing mm. balance to it. We have this rhythm between any time you have really intense action, the more intense the action is the longer the period that you're just going to kind of roam the world and pick plants and just chill out for a while. And that's kind of what you want to do anyway after a really intense fight. So that that's works really well. I thought of one, actually. Um, it's not... Well, no, I think, I think it counts. Uh, so I've been playing um, Pillars of Eternity, finally. Mm. And um, I really like the way they do health in the battles. Um, you, you, I, I've not found a way of doing actual health damage yet. I don't think it exists. I'm only like a little way in. But basically all damage is, is, um, is endurance. So it's, it's more like, you know, it's wearing your, uh, your, your, your kind of fatigue levels down. You know, it's, it's, it's wearing you down over time. So you're not actually kind of getting cut up like you do in a lot of these kind of, mm. you know, in like Baldur's Gate, you're like actually getting cut up. Um, I thought that was just a really nice system and it also works like, um, gameplay wise because i'll oh, just for anyone who's not played it, it's it's a uh, uh, kind of western rpg a la builders gay where you've got like a party of heroes um uh, it's fantasy and uh yeah when you um end the fight your endurance uh automatically regenerates but you have this second meter which is your health which doesn't regenerate so that is the actual like cuts and stuff hmm. um and uh, then your health bar is a lot bigger than your endurance bar. And then you only recover your health when you rest or like go back to a mm. tavern. Um, and it was just a really nice system because you, you don't have to do that thing like you do in, in most of these sorts of games where you have like a priest and all they get to do is healing spells. Because it's not during <laughs> the fight you need the healing spells. It's after the fight. <laughs> uh, and, and I thought that was really nice actually to give yeah. you this free regen. But then they've, they've hidden it under endurance rather than health, which I think is a, a neat system. I think it also helps from a role-playing point of view as well yeah. because you, there's a, like you can be on your last shred of health but full of endurance and that makes your experience of a dungeon really tense because yeah. if you run out of health you're 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 dead dead and so that's then but you but but you're also fully capable of fighting as long as you don't fuck up yeah it's a really absolutely. interesting dynamic yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to find yourself in so yeah that is a good example that is a good system i had uh, well 
I've got kind of half of one and then a complaint. But, <laughs> sure. So the half of one... <laughs> a grudge, Pip, a grudge. Is, I quite liked that... Um, so I, it's a self-imposed one, but when I was playing Oblivion, I did a lot of potion crafting, but I never learned anything from it because I absolutely refused and would just craft potions out of whatever shit happened to be in my inventory and, you know, would just end up absolutely overburdened with nonsense that would hurt me as much as it healed me. But... I sort of had one of those, you know, decisions where this is how I'm going to play the game, which was essentially, well, those are the potions you've got. <laughs> so you have to choose between, you know, whether you want this terrible effect for that healing or do you want, you know, like, and so that was kind of an interesting kind of entertaining thing. And I still didn't bother to learn which potions would be actually good for me. It was just a collection of, well, I've got these three things. I'm just going to combine them. It'll be fine. <laughs> Probably, oh. So, you know, that was kind of fun, entertaining. Mm, I like that way of playing. Mm. That sounds awesome. Um, and the complaint was just that I don't think anyone's really done anything interesting with uh, things that the animal kingdom do with health regeneration that are interesting or different or, you know, so starfish and and their regenerative capabilities and lizards you know and things that can like shed particular limbs or you know appendages just to get out of trouble like i think there's a lizard that you know if it, if a predator tries to swoop down and pick it up it will just shed the scales on its back and leave a kind of weird glistening skin <laughs> exposed until it can grow those back and so mm. i think it would be and cool to explore what you know, those, if you have then used that up and become vulnerable in that particular way, what that might mean for how you play or... Is it sea that... cucumbers who can just eject their innards? Like if they get attacked, <laughs> it, they can just yeah. eject all of their internal organs at the enemy <laughs> and it blinds them briefly at great cost. To the <laughs> but they can eventually regrow them, like they can survive without them and they they yeah. can regrow them over time. Well, I mean, to go back to fish... It's like a bit of a one-off trick. Pufferfish <laughs> can only like expand a certain number of times in their lifetime because of oh. the immense... like. Pressure physical heart, yeah. cost that it incurs huh. and so i think having that trade-off would be interesting in a more overt way because obviously games do do things where for example i mean in thumper you know you're you're that bug that flies along and if you you know if you fuck up once then you lose your wing casings mm. and then if you fuck up a second time you're dead so mm. you know there are those things but it doesn't tie it specifically to a, a, a particular mode of attack and then leave you vulnerable in a in a specific way it's just a generalities yeah. thing exactly we learned that thing about pufferfish at the um at bristol aquarium <laughs> so so tim something yeah. you should add is if because you know, they, they brought it up in the specific context of don't tap on a pufferfish well, that's what oh, I was yeah. going to say. Are you going to have, expand, like, yeah. telling people off for tapping on the glass? Because, like... <laughs> Gosh. <that's a laughs> or no. using flash photography. Yeah. Sorry, but, this know. is getting really granular. No, no, you should have a counter how many times have your pufferfish expanded. <laughs> it's quite a good idea though no, but potentially... thanks for this in you're welcome to this intimidating pitch meeting I'm really <laughs> sorry it's no I mean the, the idea of like a special rule like with like pufferfish when they get stressed they do their expand I mean you kind of got to have that in there just for like it would be so cool to see but the mm. idea that I didn't actually know that they have only so many 
puffs in them yeah. um <laughs> like uh yeah they're actually like gonna <laughs> be a little counter or, or maybe not actually you have to count them yourself and then eventually if it puffs too many times that's it you know yeah i want like, like you know that statistics page that quite a few games have these days yeah, yeah. uh oh man i could do a lot of stuff with a statistics page <laughs> like an game. infographic like, of how many number puff of fish puffer fish is. puffs oh no number of like pops I mean, just in general like tapping on the glass is not great for fish right there's usually yeah. discouraged yeah i mean I, so you, that could be just a thing that like a staff job is to go around and check people mm, aren't tapping on the glass too much mm. or... <laughs> yeah no this is definitely stuff that verity uh can can tell me about and it could just be generically <laughs> if they do that it raises the stress level of the fish and any fish who gets too much stress dies and then the puffer fish thing that's more like a subset of that same yeah principle. right you right. don't necessarily have that like exactly. puffer fish have a set amount of like almost like stress lives mm yeah maybe, maybe then, yeah, yeah okay okay we better stop talking about sorry yeah we're not back to designing your game no well, no it's because it's upsetting pip so let's, <laughs> let's. Sorry. in fairness yeah. they can massively inflate their body many more times than i can before i die yeah. <laughs> that's a really good point actually yeah that must that must make puffer fish feel better yeah, <laughs> yeah. you with your ability to walk around on land <laughs> i do strut that a lot yeah like don't fade it feels like you're, <laughs> this, is, this feels like you're extending like a single kind of solitary olive branch to puff a fish <laughs> to otherwise lose out to you quite so badly I don't feel so bad I can't expand my body massively without dying I bet there's a puff of fish out there just going you patronising <laughs> bastard yeah. and then puffing out of anger and dying <laughs> oh, that's exactly dying. what I wanted to prevent <laughs> Josh writes hello from Boston CNC and this is a uh not very well written question and a big question so something we might, we might not fully we wanted to read out but we might not have all of the answers for on this pod because it's a really big subject but i wanted to read it out anyway so here we go i appreciated your rather fair discussion on partisan politics in games and wanted to continue it speaking as a registered republican i don't see a lack of conservatism in games themselves Sure, lowering taxes and economic responsibility aren't very interesting game mechanics for x games notwithstanding but themes such as individualism and the dangers of government oversight are plentiful. Meanwhile, when it comes to the hot-button social issues, the right is inherently reactive and can be exclusive as a result, making these stances difficult to accommodate from business and artistic standpoints. What I do see, however, is an oversaturation of the left wing in games journalism, leading to noted defensiveness on the right. I understand that the humanities lean left, but it seems overwhelming in this field. For example, my Twitter feed full of games journalists was not a fun place to be on the American election night, election night, and I didn't even vote for Trump. My question then is how do we as a community breach this gap and encourage more conversations like the ones on this show? And how do I convince my conservative friends that the liberals aren't coming to take their video games? Thanks for the great pods. Josh. Um, I don't think it's something that we can really answer in detail or in maybe a helpful way here, but to talk in sort of more more general terms, I've found that pretty much anything when there are polarized opinions or when there's polemic involved or when there's you know uh, defensiveness or uh, you know mudslinging or a feeling of um, being outnumbered or something is just to approach things with that open to to actually just discuss or talk or listen listening is such a big part of this and you know, challenging things where it conflicts with things that you believe in or things that you think are right, but not doing so in a way that is, you know, going to 
just ruin any chance of a constructive dialogue. Mm. I think the flip side of listening uh, and to continue that point is, is reading and something that I noticed is a very common theme when I was at a lot of very long email conversations with, um, I guess, conservative gamers um, a couple of years ago during the Gamergate era um, and those who, the, the really crucial distinction, the thing to establish was that criticism is not censorship at all. Criticizing something for its... Um, portrayal or whatever of or anything it does does not prevent that kind of thing from existing so on the point of how do i convince my conservative friends that liberals aren't coming to take away the video games the answer is that simply they're not and that the notion that they are is a a reactive paranoid fantasy like there is no there is no groundwork for it there is criticism and but criticism does not prevent people from making things it is purely a way of expressing the way people the critic specific critic writing wishes things were different yeah and you don't want an environment where people are afraid to criticize something or that the criticism is not allowed of something yeah. like it should always be no a, one wants a, that, right a, a situation where anyone's allowed to say what they think about the thing particularly if your conservatism is of the flavor that emphasizes individualism criticism mm. the ability to individually criticize things is an expression of individualism you know i don't know that's probably the most I can say about that without turning into a rant. But like, yeah, I, I think accepting criticism as a valid response to something that doesn't prevent subsequent things like that from existing is, is necessary before any progress can be made, really. I think the other things that I would add are just that reflection and empathy are super important as well. So reflection just being because, I mean, things like feeling that you have been got at or criticized personally isn't the same as it having actually happened and sort of taking a moment to say was that really what happened or you know has it just touched a nerve and that's a thing that maybe needs a bit of unpacking and they could have said it nicer but it wasn't ultimately a dig mm. um and the other thing would just be empathy in the sense that i mean because people only have a certain amount of emotional bandwidth or bandwidth for a time even and so if it's one person a games critic or a writer or something who happens to be a bit more public than the people who are questioning them it might be the first time that you specifically have formulated that question and put it forward but it might be the 50th time they've had it that day and not in the nicest format and yeah, so yeah. you know like that's where expecting other people to have time for you is a bit of a um, dicey proposition, I guess. And also where, um, you know, just uh, doing a bit of reading around things and not necessarily putting the pressure on other people to educate you is important as well, mm. I think. Yeah, I totally agree with that. The, the other part of the question about how... Um, games journalism skews left wing i would i would reframe as the politically engaged aspect of games journalism skews left wing i don't think it's necessarily reasonable to say that the entirety of the profession of writing about great video games has a political alignment i, I would agree that the side of the, the the number of those people who express their political opinion tend to be on the left yeah that's probably that's a good and point. i think that's yeah, i think probably a lot of silent journalists yeah, on twitter and 
you could come up with any number of reasons why that might be. But also Twitter is itself a, a small, uh, is yes. a subset of a, a subset. And mm. so yeah. people who maybe gravitate towards Twitter would be a different subset to people who gravitate to sort of vocal particular subreddits or particular forums or particular comments sections or even just sort of uh facebook groups or people that you might find on your own facebook Mm. page Mm. they all have slightly different makeups and for particular reasons i think it's um i think i I can kind of see why it might be because i think there is um probably a fear among um, maybe more kind of conservative uh, leaning uh, people that like if they kind of talk about um, I don't know capitalist kind of uh, their capitalist ideologies that um, that people might accuse them of being greedy or you know like um, kind of oversimplify their their viewpoint Um, and so I think people kind of probably with that viewpoint probably just don't talk about it and then it's kind of like kind of easy to kind of go oh no but i believe in in uh in in kind of i think what's what's often kind of you know uh uh you know pub- publicly kind of everyone to kind of on, if you re- watch tv or whatever and it's like oh no we need need more higher taxes and all this sort of stuff and 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 uh you know a better welfare system and i think um, yeah, people just feel probably more comfortable being pro that um, publicly than than anti that. Um, so yeah, I think just because that's what you see doesn't necessarily mean that's what everybody is. I would also say that Twitter is an atrocious place to try and have a nuanced discussion yeah, with anyone about anything, partly because it's a it ends up performative and you end up with sort of people like egging other people on or, you know, wanting to posture. And also just because you just cannot uh, achieve uh, any degree of subtlety or explanation in the character count. You just Mm. can't. And I think the, uh, maybe the flip side to what you just said, Tim, is that the, the issues, so the, the side of the political aisle that is likely to have a problem with games as they currently exist is the left. And it's because the games have always been very good at expressing individualist power fantasies, capitalist fantasies, mm. anything like that. These, these, you know, a free market is functionally a game, right? Like these things fit very naturally into games. Games very naturally fit that mold. Um, ideas of a sort of non-competitive political structure are more alien to games. Um, and likewise issues of diversity and so on that we spoke about last week. For that reason, the people that you will see more regularly standing up to say, my viewpoint is not adequately represented by games as they currently mm. exist or on the left because games, I suspect, skew right. They tend to be militaristic fantasies starring an individual, right? Like there's, you know, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. and so, um, which is not to say that all, all conservatives are passive in that regard, but, you know, even, even with the notion in mind that conservatives have to be reactive, they don't necessarily have much to react to in games because the political position that they're presented is not necessarily anathema to their beliefs what is anathema is to the response to that by the people for whom it is anathema and that's i think what maybe creates this kind of dynamic where uh, people on the left react negatively to games that seem innocuous and then that creates this backlash against the backlash and anyone who's followed any kind of game with any kind of political context <laughs> on twitter knows that the backlash to the backlash to the backlash to the backlash to the backlash is the engine that powers the debate that never ends mm. and that's um I don't know. I, I suspect that's part of it. 
I think it's not necessarily that all games journalists are left wing so much as one um, politically engaged journalists tend to be left wing and two that is because the thing that is lacking in games is well traditionally an attention to left wing left leaning beliefs or liberal beliefs like mm. diversity and um, non competitive forms of play basically um, as I, <laughs> I said at the beginning of this we weren't going to go mega in depth on it but it is a huge topic. It's something I'd like to return to, possibly after the less whiskey. <laughs> Our next question comes from Caro, who writes, Dear hidden container and suspiciously easy to use alien weapon. So much of the coverage around Mass Effect Andromeda has been negative, understandably. It's difficult to talk about the game without discussing the backlash. Discussing? Sure, Chris. That said, I feel that the game itself has been completely eclipsed. I fucking love it, especially the middle and late game. It's some of the most fun I've had in gaming for a long time. And about halfway through my second playthrough, after what I accidentally became a completionist run, I enjoy pootling around space with my space friends, my spaceship, finding more about space. Chris, I'm sorry, but you're wrong about Liam. He's lovely. So, questions. How are you finding Andromeda? And are, are there... Are, I'm sorry. And are there any games you really enjoy that got buried in Backlash? Caro. Two parts to this one. I would, concede, I would concede that I can see why you'd like Liam, who is just my least favourite person on the space boat. <laughs> I don't like Liam. <laughs> <laughs> Tom just kind of, from nowhere, he's been quiet. And that's for a it from bit. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got. No Man's Sky. Really like it. Always yeah. have done. <laughs> Not bothered about the stuff that they've added since, apart from the things that have been to do with the like the photo mode and the I think changes to the generation algorithms that just sort of it's kind of hard to sum up what they do, and I don't think they really sort of explained it in a way that I can easily recall, but. I think the effect overall was to make the planets feel a bit more epic, which is so unscientific. But um, and and so those were the elements that I liked because I just like skipping from planet to planet and you know just seeing what I see. Um, and I've liked that since the game um, launched. I mean, I, I think I've said before I can see the reasons that people complained. I you know I think that. I've spoken before about things that I thought should have been handled better or communicated differently. And, you know, um, I, but I have spent hundreds of hours in that game and don't regret it at all because of what I got out of it. And I, I am really glad that they are continuing to add things and respond to what people seem to want to do with it. I mean, you know, on the back of, having, I guess, had their shot of communicating a thing with the product as release, like, in the in the time since, they, from an outsider perspective, seem to have gone, okay, well, what do you guys want? And we will take that into account and, and rejig and, you know, uh, add, like, race course building and add base building and add all of these things that definitely weren't part of the original proposition and were specifically mentioned as things that weren't going to be added when I had done pre 
pre pre release um interviews and things um and I think that that is to the game's credit and maybe it's just becoming more a toolbox that people can dip into and take out the bits that they want to play with mm. and I, I think to the audience's credit as well um the response to coverage has changed as well so nowadays when i write about something that they're doing you know a new update or something the majority of the response is actually positive or like oh you know i'm glad that they're still working on the game or that sounds cool or this particular element is interesting to me um so i think that maybe the backlash is i don't know maybe it's because of where i write for and that the you know because i don't check the subreddit or anything so maybe it's a very different story for other outlets or in on other platforms but it's yeah like it's a thing that i have enjoyed throughout its life cycle and continue to dip into Um, i've really enjoyed watching no man's sky through your eyes i think because the the vitriol against that game is in excess of even the vitriol directed at andromeda and yet it becomes a lot simpler when you see someone just simply enjoying it on its own merits without Hmm. all of that baggage yeah and i well i think i went into the game you know like as me i i was always going to enjoy stuff that catered to that side of just you know to to revisit the wonderful world world word pootling you know it's that's what i love doing in games above other things and so you know hand me a space in which i can do that on a bunch of interesting diverse planets with different color palettes and i'm i'm fine but i you know i do get that people who bought it for other reasons wouldn't necessarily be and you know i totally get that but yeah Mm. that game i've flown my my tiny pottering pootling flag for (laughs) since since it launched yeah (laughs) lovely I think we're we're still at the expressing our feelings towards Andromeda with sounds stage, so we'll we'll stick with that. But we might return to that again. <laughs> ben writes, "Dear Craft and Sandbar, over the Easter holiday, I visited St Michael's Mount in Cornwall. It's a tidal island, reachable via walkway during low tide, but requiring the use of a boat during high tide. This kind of landscape always makes me think of games like The Witcher Three, but I don't recall ever seeing tides represented in such a physical way in any game." Can you think of any examples of the tide being used for your gameplay effect in a game? What about other sea-related phenomena, such as natural erosion? So I don't know about tide, but erosion is a heavy factor in Dust, hmm. the Ubisoft mm, game, um, yeah. where you are kind of a god directing channels of water and lava and stuff to form an island and to uh, help your tribe of people to safety. It's a really cool aesthetic, and the mechanics are really nice, and it feels really cool to interact with it, it has really waves, doesn't falls it? It doesn't down have tides but it has tidal yeah waves. Yeah. It, yeah yeah it has massive tsunami type things and you can you can create a fucking jazz shield by playing the trumpet in the right way <laughs> or a didgeridoo i think like a, a one of your tribes people is like a didgeridoo guy and if he plays the right kind of jazz it creates a force field around him and like a tidal wave can just crash all around him and he'll be safe and all his friends will be safe within <laughs> this jazz shield um <laughs> <laughs> but the it wasn't as, Mount. it wasn't as great as it sounds because um it was absolutely fucking vital that your people go exactly where you told them mm. to and they fucking did not <laughs> they would God. just get stuck on geometry they'd go in the wrong direction and you had no control it was just like well 
I told him to do what I needed him to do. He didn't fucking do it. So I lost the whole game and I, it's all over. It was quite a little game, if I remember right. Yeah. Wasn't it? it was quite a small scope project. It's one of those games I wanted to celebrate more, but I was reviewing it and I had to just face up to the fact that this just doesn't fucking work. Like, it's really broken. Mm. It's a shame. I can't think of anything else. I mean, we could have an argument about Tides of Numenera because it's got the word Tides well, I mean, didn't uh, wasn't The Witness a game that has... Witness the fitness. That's, that's not how John Blow says it. <laughs> it's how I say it. It's how he should say it. No, the way so, you should say it is, come on, mothers, get up, get down with the witness. I was I was mostly just mentioning erosion with regards to the witness because um, that's uh, the game itself, um, the way that the uh, the terrain is laid out, the way that the island is actually crafted takes into account particular mm. phenomena or particular kinds of erosion, the way that valleys are formed, you know, that kind of thing. And that to me is interesting, um, but it's not something that happens over the course of the game. It's a thing that, you know, has, has happened, already yeah. happened and you are seeing the result of this sort of fictional millennia of previous uh, existence and life cycles and things like that. So... I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that, because it feels like the sort of thing that I might have played. If it's there seaside was. related, yeah. I mean, there are plenty of games where like lowering or raising a water level. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> that's like a classic video game puzzle. Um, and I'm sure there are some where that's themed as the tide. Really maybe, but it's usually like you turn a crank and the temple mm. fills with water yeah. or something like that. Tides in America doesn't count because there's five of them, which would be a bit like if there was like high tide, low tide, sad tide, <laughs> prideful tide. What are the tides in Numenera? Uh, indico, silver, gold, blue, and Oh, so it's red. like the stupid realms things. Well, not what? stupid because I'm actually really enjoying it, but like, you know, in Warhammer where it's like, oh, do you want to go to metal or ghosts or shoes or, you know, whatever. <laughs> the the- oh, God, we, need to do a- we need to do a podcast for everything I like that you don't understand well, no it's more just like you know when you're reeling off where should we go today it's just like well oh, you know we Silver can Tower. go to yeah. beasts or metal and i'm like well <laughs> yes, i okay. mean the realms okay I so mean... yeah it is a bit like that so yeah, the, sure <laughs> the realms in the new warhammer are obviously fire life death shadow light metal beasts it's like the crystal maze just understand like it as metal. being like metal. Is, is that metal. like the Aztec. element or is it like the music? Future. <laughs> I like to think of them all as a bit like the music, actually. Yeah. Um, God, what Jazz. am I missing? Did I get to eight? I can't remember. Water? No. It's, Ice? So hang on. We've got fire. Heart? Beast. Everything was peaceful until the Fire Nation attacked. It was, yeah. <laughs> so hang on. Light, shadow. I'm going to get to eight. I'm going to figure this out. This is this is totally okay. a diatribe from the music <laughs> podcast, which we're not even doing. Fine. Light, shadow, life, death, fire. What's the opposite beast. of fire? There isn't an opposite of fire. There's not an opposite of beast either. Oh, the opposite no, of beast let's not get into this. Just don't distract too much. Uh, heavens. And shit. 
What's the eighth realm? Did you do metal? Is that still a I, thing? Metal. I didn't do metal. I remember I've metal. Done it. Thanks, Tim. Well, You've saved what this bit. In the beginning, so. Okay. <laughs> oh, I, I don't think. It's fine. I don't think it's possible it to save matter. this. No, it's bit. not like that. The the tides of Numenera are blue, red, indigo, silver, and gold. I believe. But what does that even mean? Blue is wisdom and the pursuit of knowledge. Red is passion. <laughs> don't know what asking about. <laughs> what, that, like, do they ebb and flow? Is that yes, they do. Is? Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, they ebb and flow based on the actions. Can you of drown in any of cast them? offs? No, you can't. Nor can they can ruin any your sandcastle. No, right. crabs can't live in the wake of the concept of passion. <laughs> they should. And I don't think I would ever they have said try. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor crab! That was so good. The crab poets will have so words. You said crab. You could have said so many different things that live in rock pools, but you said the one, the one that really can live in the wake of passion, <laughs> crabs. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear anyway um, i don't even remember what the question was so tides and games i think we've adequately answered it and I also so. answered what the eight realms in warhammer age of sigma are a lot so, of questions that weren't asked <laughs> yes. that, oh, welcome to the podcast tim this happens every week um so this brings us on to our, what we'll wrap up with which is our grudges we haven't had a good batch of grudges for a little while Good. This is very I mean, exciting. good as in it, there's one rather there's two. Than... <laughs> Bad. So the first one actually comes <laughs> Extra good. from Ben, who was our questioner for the last question. Okay. He appended a grudge. Good for Ben. Good for Ben. Bad for the grudge. <laughs> I guess. This is Ben's grudge. The situation regarding the DLC for Mass Effect 2 is absurd. To the point that I may never get to play Mass Effect 3. These DLC packs have remained at full price since launch and are not even included in the complete pack. Scare quotes implied. The only way to purchase the story DLC legitimately on PC is through Bioware points. 2,480 of them, to be precise, and that's not including the non-story content. <laughs> to get this many points requires buying two codes for 1,600 points each for 1,300 points total for a total cost of £32. More than a budget gamer like myself would usually pay for a brand new title. Worse still, this would leave me with 720 points spare, where the combined cost of the story DLC just 80 Bullshit token less. I could instead spend £24 for the exact same content. I can't afford to spend this much on a game that old, and I'm not willing to consider piracy, but I also don't want to stop Mass Effect 3 without fully experiencing the second game. Thus, I am stuck. Thanks for reading, and keep up the excellent pod, PS. Big thanks to Tom F. for his Game Maker tutorials. I've just started programming, and they're a huge help. You don't end a grudge with a big up. (laughs) (laughs) PPS, will Chris ever return to No Trace for Dishonored 2? The answer is, I'd like to, but I no longer work for anywhere that would do that. So if I do it, it'll be a Crank Crowbar thing. I would like to do it. We'll see. Yeah, I'm a big Mass Effect fan, and I never played any of the DLC for any of them. You should have done. They were good. I yeah, really I keep hearing Citadel's really good. I do really object to the... like. It's a sensible thing in terms of monetization, but it really rubs me up the wrong way, possibly more than anything else, when people price things in such a way that you have to buy into their stupid proprietary currencies yeah, absolutely. in a way that is designed to leave you with an yeah. uncomfortable amount of loose change that screws you over and locks you into the system. It's really unnecessary. I, I found some it. way back in the day of navigating Bioware points split between the Dragon Age and Mass Effect series the fact that I could play the exact amount for everything I wanted. Mm. Um, but that took heavily investing in both games 
both series in a, in a publisher's over, which is actively playing into their hand. I agree, it's totally shit system. There is, I, I can't remember if it's two or three, but in one of them, I didn't know this at all when I played it, but afterwards I found out that if you had pre-ordered or if you had some kind of DLC, you just get a fucking Promethean on your team. Prothean. Like, a Prothean, yeah. Yeah, sorry. in Mass Effect 3. Yeah, Jaffik. That's yeah. a fucking the precursor race Jaffa that the cake. whole mystery is Jaffa all about. Cake. You just have one of them on your team if you pay the right money. His name is, <laughs> well, his name technically is Javik, but now it's Jaffa Cake. Sorry, I totally misheard you. And I'm really hungry. And I know that there's fondant fancies downstairs, <laughs> which are essentially Jaffa Cakes, but... So, you know, I mean, Jaffa Cake is one of the highlights of Mass Effect 3. Genuinely, he's very funny. Um, if he's desperate to spend his remaining points, and that's the main problem, yeah. um, and he he's never bought the comic book between one and two because he actually played one, he could just buy the comic book thing that lets you choose your choices from one for two. I mean, it's not like good value, but it might make him feel better about like getting rid yeah. of the points and getting something. You could get some of the book. the cosmetic um the cosmetic packs. There's some good, I don't know fucking hats it's not a good deal he's completely right mm. yeah yeah that's just but awful. at the same time i completely understand the impulse because i think not having played like lara the shadow broker going into mass effect 3 is a big it's a big downside not having played a rival as well, well for me it was a big problem because i couldn't break up with liara without buying a dlc <laughs> i dated liara in mass effect 1 mass effect 2 i couldn't date anyone because i was already in a relationship with liara but you don't get a chance to continue that or or end it until you, you buy can still the someone else. Shadow Breaker, you can, but you that you can't end that first relationship. And I felt it would be cheating if I didn't end my first relationship before dating someone else. So I had to eventually get so the you DLC. Bioware points and... just to break up yep. with an alien. Yep. <laughs> yep. Nice. I like because your morality games. there. That's yeah. sweet. <laughs> At least you made the effort. You could have been sent a text. <laughs> <laughs> if that was a cheaper DLC, <laughs> I'm not saying I wouldn't have text Liara. <laughs> Anyway, Grudge Approved. <laughs> grudge Approved is going yeah. in the book. Yeah, the second well Grudge the comes from Mitchell, who writes, Dear High King Wargrim Grudge Bearer. Excellent. That's very I'm good. That's very totally well done. up for that. If you, want, if you aren't aware, High King Thorgrim Grudge Bearer is the dwarven king in traditional Warhammer fantasy who bears the Book of Grudges. Uh, so this I is... think you'll find that I researched this for the I post that I did on that internet. I see. Okay. Mm. I wasn't just telling you, Pip. I was telling the listeners at home. Oh, okay. And Tim. And Tim. <laughs> I suspected Tim. it would be Warhammer, though. I had a feeling. Like, oh. a, like original fantasy Warhammer. Mitchell writes, Please accept my humble contribution to the Librarium Grudgotica Pipipica. <laughs> <laughs> I know who that is. Nice. Pretty good. <laughs> I don't know what voice I'm going to do this one in. No. Imagine, if you will... <laughs> Sexy voice. Yeah. Do sexy voice again. <laughs> Imagine, if you will, that you are a man with a gun. <laughs> Do you that voice? It's Liam Neeson. Yeah, like, what shooting. is this? It's, that's also the sexy voice. Like, I approve. Liam oh, Neeson okay. is, is sexy voice. Uh, sure, fine. <laughs> shooting at other men with guns. You hear guns fire to turn... Blah, blah, blah. You hear gunfire to one side and turn to face your attackers, only to be confronted by a wall of green treachery. In an instant it clicks, the plant you vaguely admired just moments ago was not a real physics object, but merely a collection of 2D leaf-shaped textures, and as such does not inhibit your AI enemy's line of sight. You have but a handful of completely helpless seconds before you are riddled with bullets and or lasers from your unseen attackers and die. This tale has plagued me across the realms, 
from Los Santos to City 17 to the Wild West. <laughs> from battlefields to the Clancyverse, and even to Andromeda and beyond. I request that you take note of this bush-shaped betrayal. Why have you this farcical into somebody foliage. who is asking someone to do something before they die? Why is that this your grudge sexy voice? against greenery. Seriously, though, this really bugs me. Thanks for reading, everybody, Mitchell. I don't know why I ended up there. I ended. Up, I did end up at letters from the war. I will. Exp- <laughs> <laughs> I did. Like, Taken four is weird. Margaret, <laughs> we go over the. I think maybe that is my sexy voice. Is in the frame of like. Oliver, it's great to hear from you. We go over the top tomorrow. All being well, Jerry will be kind. But if not, I love you. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, think I, I can I can sympathize with that, with like something that, you know, looks it's like it bushes. in yeah. some way in, in, in like the game simulation. But, you know, because of kind of slightly shoddy programming, it doesn't, you know, I, I, I can sympathize with that. Well, didn't we have a grudge maybe a couple of weeks back with somebody who is... Uh, upset by things that seem that that aren't predictably physics objects or that you know something that looks like it would be um uh the kind of uh ephemeral thing that you could brush through turns out to be a solid wall Mm. and so maybe this would be like we could have a chapter on just objects that misbehave (laughs) i think i think you've gotta have a vision mode thing it's basically impossible to like reliably i mean it's possible to make everything a physics object because then you're simulating the universe <laughs> um and if you're going to draw the line somewhere it's never going to be 100 percent consistent unless you go for like a really abstract art style where everything red is movable and everything mm. white isn't or something like that and so like you know deus ex has this problem um all of the modern deus ex is there's boxes you can move and boxes you can't and the distinction is very weird mm. um and i just think it's uh, like the thing that players want to know is just a really gamey thing which is which things can i move and which things can't i and so you have to give them the gamey way to find out information which is like hit a button see an overlay and it shows you which things are interactable we already do this for like loads of stuff including what is interactable you know dishonored has a vision mode that shows you what's interactable and desert kind of does but it's it's more of a special thing um and i think that's just a crutch that we just have to lean on <laughs> yeah i think that's okay i think like you say it's um, it's a gamey thing that the player wants to know, so it's okay to show it in a gamey way. Yeah, it's like it's, as long it's, as it's kind of consistent. If you're going to be gamey, it's better to be clear about it. Mm-hmm. If you can find a way to be not gamey, then great. But mm. no one has ever done that, so <laughs> don't so think are you, you can. Disputing the grudge, or are you? Uh, I'm suggesting a way for developers to f- uh, amend the grudge. Mm. I agree. Th- I agree with the grudge, basically. Pip, is the grudge accepted? Well, I lost track of it at some point because I couldn't listen to your sexy voice uh, until it turned into something that wasn't kind of whispering because my skin I was crawling. I forgot how much you hate whispering. <laughs> yeah, like I just, I had to just not listen and I'm really sorry. So for me, it feels like, was, <laughs> I'm so sorry, but was it that sometimes greenery gets in the way of you seeing what It's you're... more that sometimes greenery looks like it might protect you from enemies, but the enemies don't actually count it. Ah, okay. They just see you through it and they yeah. still shoot yeah. at you. I think that is yeah, like a, a a gaming like legibility thing and that is a totally legit grudge that something hasn't been signposted in a in a way that is useful to you as a player. Boom, it's in the book. Mm. Horizon Zero Dawn is very good at this because the only thing that, that hides room. is uh <laughs> is red tall grass 
And the reason red tall grass hides you is you're tall and you have red hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's smart. I like those sorts of solutions. Yeah. I think that's fun. It's really clear. I literally never, ever thought that something would hide me and mm. it didn't. I never thought something wouldn't hide me and it did. Tom's in the passion pond at red tide with horizon <laughs> zero dawn. <laughs> And now he's got crabs. <laughs> Robot crab. <laughs> Let's end the podcast. It's, it's time to go away. If you'd like to send us a grudge or a question for a future episode, you can do so by emailing us at questions at creightoncrowbar.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at creightoncrowbar. And when the time is right, send us a question on there. Why not? You can also support our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash creightoncrowbar. Um, our listeners allow us to do obviously this podcast but also the miniatures podcast which will be coming up again pretty soon and some spin-offs that are in the works if you would like to follow us as individuals you can do so i'm at c thurston that is c-t-h-u-r-s-t-e-n this week's guest tim wicksteed is at twice circled which is t-w-i-c-e-c-i-r-c-l-e-d or just search for my name because you know what i'm googleable <laughs> <laughs> the eminently googleable tom francis is uh pentadact p-e-n-t-a-d-a-c-t and pip also is there yes but i have a newsletter now <gasps> we should totally plug oh. pip's newsletter so i'm gonna try and remember what that is uh, <laughs> so it's called nature stories and it's like a tiny letter thing so i think if uh, as long as nothing disastrous has happened it i think it's tinyletter.com forward slash nature stories what can people expect from nature stories well there's one that you can see on the sign up page about magnolias and things but ultimately it's just going to be an extension of the things that i put on twitter and instagram about um flowers and mini beasts and um birds and things like that and just flesh out those thoughts and stories and learnings in a way that short form uh, blogging does not allow um and in case you're worried i will always always flag up if there's spiders in there in the subject line <laughs> always wow that's, that's and how can people find you on twitter uh oh it's at philippa war which is p-h-i-l-i-p-p-a-w-a-r-r and there's a link to the newsletter in the pinned tweet on that thanks for joining us tim thanks for having me <laughs> and thanks for listening everybody bye <laughs>